Hey guys, and thanks for visiting this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Monday, May the 25th, 2020, titled Suicide Squad, Air Cut, Chances According to Air. And remember guys, listening to this podcast, you can also send in comments or questions for the live questions part of the show by simply using the tip link in the description of this podcast at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You can get your question on the show and support the channel at the same time and for now let's get to the episode rob as start that again as we've known uh, the pandemic <laughs> is causing havoc everywhere but as far as our little movie world bubble goes you know it has affected us primarily in the terms of the films themselves of course a lot of production almost all production had been delayed or canceled for a period of time and on top of all that rob we've had movies that were supposed to come out in the last few months that have had been delayed and there's only so much room in the release schedule that can even permit a lot of these films to then get reallocated re new dates. There's just not room for all of them. So a number of films have been getting dumped on streaming and things like that. And now we've got our latest casualty of that as one of the films I've really been looking forward to. That's John Stewart's new film, political comedy, Irresistible, that was going to be starring uh, Steve Carell. And this is one that, you know, when the trailers came out, I thought it looked really funny. Of course, I'm a big Steve Carell fan. I'll watch anything with Steve Carell and pretty much enjoy everything with Steve Carell. But this one is now, this was supposed to come out and hit theaters in May or in uh, Mar March or May. I can't remember. I think it was March, actually. It was supposed to come out in March. Now it's going to get re released, I believe, in June or July. But they are going to go straight to streaming. This is one, Rob, that kind of fits the mold of a film that would get bumped you know it's a smaller film this was never going to be a big blockbuster all that kind of stuff where do you find it and where do you reshuffle it in this is kind of the prime film that would be a candidate for getting bumped and by the way the type of film that probably wouldn't do all that bad as far as vod goes probably not all that bad as far as VOD goes so i'm not surprised that this film got moved I'm disappointed, though, because because I'm a big Steve Carell guy, I was really looking forward to seeing this in the big screen. Rob, any surprises that this movie gets moved and how do you think it can do? Well, I'll tell you, this weekend, I've seen all kinds of marketing for this film. I've seen Jon Stewart uh, pieces of him talking about what it's like to be back behind the in the director's chair again. And they I've seen the trailer for the film. It's got Ro Rose Byrne is in it as well. And it it looks really good. And this, there's two movies now, John, but I hate to say it, that I'm really looking forward to, to drop on video on demand or pay on demand, whatever you want to call it, is this movie and The King of Staten Island, you know, Judd Apatow's film that stars Pete Davidson, that's basically based on his own life, how he lost his father, who was a firefighter. And both of these films, comedic, and they both look terrific. And I'm really looking forward to watching these movies how By do you the think way, they we, could do we can see your um on the on oh the yeah live. the audio thing came up there a yeah. lot of technical problems say how do you think they're they're gonna do over there? i think i you know i think people want to laugh i think people want a, a chuckle john i mean you know with all the news it's coming out uh, the both of these movies i mean i've heard somebody described i think on jeff wells website that the king of staten island was pete davidson's eight mile and I'm like, wow. <laughs> so it looks very funny, but if all, it, it's also heartfelt and comedic and is about his own life. I mean, I think that's terrific. And this Steve Carell comedy just looks – I think Rose Byrne and Steve Carell as a comedic duo is an irresistible one. 
And the movie looks really funny. Between that and Space Force, I think Steve Carell's been gonna he's gonna be killing it in the next couple months. I am so looking forward to Space Force. I'm looking forward oh. to that. Qu- question is for you guys. What do you think about this move of moving Irresistible straight to VOD? Do you feel like we do that? Yeah, if, uh, this was the kind of movie that would get that sort of treatment at this point, unfortunately. Or are you surprised that they move- made that move? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's do one more thing off the top. And that is this. You know, there's been a discussion around, speaking of the pandemic and everything like that, there's been a discussion going around about, you know, when will the movie theaters open? But then an extension of that discussion has been, when they do, are people going to want to go back to the movie theaters? And we've talked about a couple of different, you know, dynamics at play. Dynamic number one, we are cautious. You know, people are, there are going to be a number of people who are going to be understandably and reasonably cautious about the idea of going back into public spaces, particularly where there's going to be a bunch of other people. So there's going to be that. So there's one train of thought that, you know, when the doors open to the theaters, not many people are going to go, even if they have, you know, social distancing, staggered seating, limited show times, all those sorts of rules and, and regulations and requirements in place. There are still going to be, understandably so, a lot of people are going to be cautious. The other train of thought that I've kind of proposed on this show before has been, I don't think we should underestimate the drive a lot of people have to get back to anything that feels like normal again. I do not think whether it's uh, totally reasonable, unreasonable, not so smart, totally smart, whatever, there's going to be a lot of people that I believe that when the doors of the theaters are opened, that while there will be a bunch who are cautious, understandably so, there's also going to be a lot of people that are going to be just really ready to get back to something that feels normal again. And Rob, while this is not a complete apples to apples comparison, I think what we've seen this weekend over over the course in the United States, where there are reports going over that, you know, bars that have been because there are areas like just Riverside County out just outside of Los Angeles. They're talking about opening up restaurants again this coming week. And there are other places that have been slowly rolling those open. So beaches, bars, boardwalks. Uh, my wife, you know, goes goes hiking. She said she saw a lot more people out there than she thought there were going to be. Of course, my wife has the respirator mask on, the whole kind of bit. She plays it safe. But people are flocking. Again, I'm not here to say about whether that's a dumb thing or a smart thing. I, I'm not commenting. I'm just saying that a lot of people are flocking out to having the opportunity to get back to these places that was a part of their normal. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that what we've got here is a complete apples to apples comparison, right? Getting out to the bars, getting out to the restaurants, getting out to the beaches, getting out to the boardwalks. That's not the exact same comparison as say getting back out into a movie theater. But I do believe there's a lot of very strong similarities in the situations. And I believe that once movie theaters open back up, while they will not be filled to capacity because they're going to have limited seating, whatever, I think we're going to see more people going back than people think. And again, whether that's a smart thing, dumb thing, whatever, I assume they're going to try to have protocols in place to make it safe, to make it good. But Rob, I look at these situations going on around the country. And and to me, you know, I've said this before, Rob, while I get having a little bit of apprehension, I do. I think it's reasonable having apprehension right. going back into a movie theater. I think there's more reason to be nervous about going into a grocery store 
I think there's more reason to be cautious and nervous about going into a bar where not only are you in a much smaller space with much lower ceilings and whatever, but everybody's talking and talking and talking and talking and, and you know, well, but, and, and I'm not saying it's you shouldn't go back to restaurants or grocery stores or whatever. I'm just saying I've always kind of felt like I would feel actually a little bit easier going into a movie theater, one of those. Rob, I'm looking at this with all these people flocking to these places again. I'm looking at this as kind of confirmation bias, if you will, but that when the theaters open, I think you're going to see more people going back than we anticipate. Rob, you look at this situation. What, how do you think this applies? Which ways do you think it's similar? Which ways do you think it's not similar? How do you break this all down? Well, look, I mean, we're we're going to know because all of these people flocking to all of these places in about two weeks, we're going to see how this worked out for everybody. Um, and it'll be academic. And it's either going to be less than we thought or it's going to be the same or more. We have some states that are on the rise. Our state in California, John, we are not flattening our curve. The state, the, the cases are, 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 are inching upward. And as people go out, I expect them to go up. I think it's really going to depend on how it, how it turns out. But like you pointed out, as they have said, you know, it's, it's, when we're talking and sneezing and we're we're the ones spreading the virus and it's mostly through droplets and things that are coming out of our mouths. So if you're wearing a mask in a movie theater, I think it's not necessarily as dangerous. I would like to point out, though, about supermarkets, my local Vons and local Trader Joe's, they have done a fantastic job. There's somebody outside the door spraying everybody with hand sanitizer going in. They limit the amount of people going in and they have cleaning crews in the stores, literally cleaning up all the time. So I've been very impressed by my local grocery stores here in Pasadena, they've done, a, well, the ones I go to have done a great job. But look, I think you're right about going to the movie theaters. If, if, if we don't have massive growth in cases, I think going to movie theaters, it's a place where, you know, if every other row is empty and it's, it's, it's not as much as usual, you know, you don't have packed people and they keep it fairly clean I'm not as worried about going to see a movie as I would be, like you said, about going to a restaurant or bar, certainly, because if you're just sitting there quietly, you're not going to be breathing or talking or spewing your perhaps coronavirus out breath on everybody. You know? Well, and, and hopefully you and I have talked about this before, because you know, I've been really impressed with a lot of the grocery stores that are in our area and the, the cautions yeah. they're taking. I expect no less from movie theaters. I expect no right. less from movie theaters. Number one, telling you know any patrons to show up that look like they may be symptomatic of anything and saying, you know, folks, we love that you've come here, but we're going to have to ask you to come back another time when you're feeling better. Have hand sanitizer thing, all the staff masked up, cleaning crews, blah, blah, all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, again, whether it's smart or dumb, that's a different topic. But I just think we're going to see more people come back to the theaters when it does happen. Question here for you guys is, what do you think about that? When you're seeing people flocking out to public places opening up, do you think that has any relation or direct line to what might happen when the movie theaters open up? Or do you think a lot of people still avoid it? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right. All right. I, that was going to be the last off the top thing. Uh -oh. Rob, you and I talked beforehand about, I don't know if we should talk about this or not. And you said no, we, we should. should. Yeah. Okay, so so let's do this. So here's a bonus off the top, all right? Here's a bonus off the top. So as you guys know, um, 
Warner Brothers and HBO Max has decided to put up the $30 million to finish the Snyder Cut and put it out on HBO Max. And we're going to talk a little bit about how that's going to happen a little bit later in the show. But I got an interesting message this weekend. And I talked to Rob about it a little bit. So here's the thing. You guys remember a couple of years ago, um, I was the first person to tell everybody that Ben Affleck was, he was out. He was not going to be Batman anymore. Everybody told me I was wrong, but I trusted the, the people who told me so. And I got told by three separate sources that Ben Affleck was out. And of course, years later, it turned out it was all correct and true. The reason I bring that up is because one of those three people reached out to me on Saturday and wrote something very interesting to me. And basically what they wrote to me was, was this, was that when Warner Brothers and HBO Max first entered in and started talking about the possibility of, of putting up money to finish the film, Zack Snyder, what I've been told by this individual, told them it was going to cost upwards of $70 million to do it. 70. Now, I found that interesting, Rob, because one of the things you and I have been wondering is like, if this thing is as incomplete as Zack Snyder's interview with The Hollywood Reporter seems to make it sound like it is, how on earth are you going to do it for $30 million? So what this dude told me was that the number he actually floated was 70. And that H Warner Brothers and HBO Max, simply that was a number, a dollar figure they couldn't do. They just could not do that kind of a number that didn't financially, that doesn't make it make sense for them. Uh, it's a lot of money. So they went back and said, can you do it for the 20, 30, 20 to $30 million range to which at some point, Zach then finally said, yes, okay, we can do it for 20 to 30 million. Now I then took that information and this is why I was hesitant to even talk about it. I then took that information and reached out to one of the other two guys who confirmed the Ben Affleck was out as Batman thing to me. And I said to them, hey, I just got told that Snyder actually said initially that he was going to need upwards of $70 million to complete it, but that was a price tag that was too much for them. They compromised down to 20 to 30. Is that what you heard as well? And they said, no, no, we've, we've always heard it was 20 to 30. So I've got two different conflicting things being said to me. I've got, I got one of the Ben Affleck is out as Batman sources who was 100% correct tell me that the initial money that Snyder actually wanted was 70 and they're going to make a compromise and go down 20, 30. But then I had another one of the Ben Affleck confirmers tell me that the number they've always heard was 20 to 30. So two conflicting things, two conflicting things. Rob, I bring this up because, you know, you, with your experience and your history in the industry and filmmaking, you know, you have said You've expressed a lot about your a little bit of confusion about that number because you've said there's simply no way this can be properly, properly completed for like upwards of $30 million. You didn't think it could properly be done for upwards of $30 million. So you hear <laughs> these conflicting things I'm hearing. Some saying it's got, it, they, they needed 70, others saying, no, it was always going to be 20 or 30. I don't know. What do you make of all this? What do you think at this point? One of one of the things that I've learned over the 31 years I've or now what 32 years I've worked in the entertainment business is that post production always gets the short shrift from anyone who's trying to pay for a movie. They don't understand it. They everyone understands shooting a movie. Got to be on set. Got to have caterers. Got to have the whole crew. Got to have everybody. So they understand those costs. 
post costs, especially in the world where we all work on computers now, everybody believes that, what, can't you just press a button? Why is it so expensive? Well, when you're working with a movie like Justice League, almost every single shot has some kind of visual effects or some kind of treatment, post-production treatment in it. And as a lifelong reader of Cinefix magazine, which is a, a journal only about visual effects, I've read every issue, I've been buying it for 40 years, I can tell you that 20 to $30 million on a movie like the Snyder Cut, now this is not, I don't want all the Snyder Cut fans to be poo-pooing this. If you don't understand post-production, it's very difficult to wrap your head around these kinds of costs. But when you're dealing with films at massive amounts of green screen, all of those backgrounds, not only as you know, John, have to be composited, they have to be created. And it's not, there's no quick fix. It, it's laborious. It takes a lot of people. The render times when you're rendering out at 4K or however they're going to finish, I would imagine 4K because why not? There's just, there's fixed things that are associated to a post-production pipeline that cost money. And when I heard this, I even said on my own show, I'm like, I was dubious about 20 to 30 million. I was like, I'll bet it's going to cost 50. And hearing Zack Snyder say 70, that is a realistic assessment. If somebody... If the people at AT&T did not sit down with an actual post-production budget, and by the way, it exists because when they were making, when Zack Snyder was making Justice League, they had a post-budget right in front of them. So that budget, that budget exists. Those numbers exist. And if they're not, I understand what they might want to do it for, but that has no bearing. Every producer wants to do it for something. But my rule of thumb is 33% of your budget goes to post. And, and that's not even on a big effects heavy movie. This film, there are costs associated with it. And if you're going to do it right, which you always should do it right in the first place, I think it's going to cost more than 20 to 30 million. Now, I'm talking out of my ass. I've never seen a budget. I don't know how much needs to be done. But based on that Hollywood Reporter article, they are saying, well, we'll do it for 20 to 30 million. And I'm sure they're basing those numbers off, I don't know, a typical episode of Game of Thrones, what that cost. This is not that. And, and I think it's going to cost more. Now, I'm not doom and gloom here. I'm just saying that why not? I wish people would be realistic about these things going into them because it's not exactly rocket science. You can look on a piece of paper and go, here's how I mean, I'm sure they're trying to figure out what form it's going to be. And hey, if we do it by episodes or you do it, if they're going to do it by episodes, they can probably justify more of an expense if they're going to do it as one program. And it costs more money, then it's a little harder to justify. But if you're getting four shows out of it rather than one long show, then they're like, oh, okay, we can release it week by week. It comes down on the balance sheet as 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 four things as opposed to one. There's ways around it because if, if you've got four episodes that are costing you – because remember, they don't have to pay for production. They only have to pay for post. So from a from a it's almost like the Justice League movie exists. It came out. It was in the theaters. This, in a way, is found. I mean, yeah, you're going to have to pay for uh, talent costs and all that. But really, you're just paying for post. So if you break it down and let's say they make it four episodes and they're four hour long episodes and you have to pay 15 million an episode each. Well, that's not so bad not to get a Justice League TV show. 
that looks like a feature film. So it really depends on how they go about it. And if it's if it's fifteen thousand dollar or fifteen million an episode, and you do four episodes, well, that's sixty million. That's pretty respectable. If Snyder said seventy, I bet he can do it for sixty. So we'll see. I see the way I'm looking at this is, and by the way, I I don't remember. I'm hearing two conflicting things. One said seventy, one said twenty to thirty. But but whatever. Let's go for a second and say, let's say Snyder said, yeah, to finish this thing properly was going to cost seventy million dollars to finish it properly. What I think people need to remember, and what I need to remember, is that. AT&T is not Warner Brothers is not their charity. The AT&T and Warner Brothers, this Snyder Cut thing is not a charity and it's not a gift to the fans. No. They're doing this because they feel and this is this and this is reasonable. There's nothing wrong with this. They're doing this cuz they feel they will benefit from this. And if they looked at it and said this is worth 30 million dollars to us to get the benefit we're going to receive for putting this out. It is not worth $55 million to us. It's not worth $60 million to us. It's not worth $70 million to us. At that point, it's not worth it for us to make it because we are we just can't justify that cost. So if this is true, and I have no idea if it is or not, but let's just go with it for argument's sake. So they go back and say, I'll tell you what, we we think we we can justify to ourselves spending 20 to 30 million more we can justify to ourselves giving writing a big fat 20 to 30 million dollar check to get this thing finished and aired on hbo max but we feel we are just paying too much if we paid more so it's not a matter of we think you can do it properly for this amount of money we're saying this is how much money it's worth to us can you make it happen with this much money and Rob, if it's true, and we have no idea if it is. So again, we're just, this is all purely for the sake of argument. If it's true, and Zach initially thought we needed about $70 million to finish this thing and finish it right. And he looks at that situation and goes, okay, we can either not do it at all, or we can find a way to stretch that $30 million as much as we can to create a watchable finished version and put it out. I would think that a lot of the people who have been clamoring to see the Snyder cut of Justice League, I got to think that if you put it to a vote amongst them, hey, we can either get it not at all because they wanted 70 million or we can get it without all the money it needed, but we're going to get a version. I got to think the vote yes would be overwhelmingly positive. I got a feeling that fans would overwhelmingly positive say, hey, we can get a version that they only gave them 30 million to finish or we get no version, I got to think they'll take the version that was not properly paid for. You know what I mean? So I, I got a feeling it might not be an issue of AT&T misunderstanding how much it actually costs to do post-production as much as it is AT&T going, it doesn't matter how much it's going to cost to properly do post-production. This is what it's worth to us. Can you well, do it for that? I don't know. Right, do right. Well, I think, look, if you make one movie, all right, and one movie, you know, the way they, they justify the costs for these things is you base your subscriptions and then you take a chunk out of each show. Like each show, let's say five cents from every subscription that HBO Max has is going to be put toward the Snyder Cut until it's paid off or whatever their analytics are. You make the Snyder Cut as one movie. All right. And let's say you get 
20 million views and you spend $30 million. But if you break it into four pieces and you spend $70 million and you get 80 million views because those 20 million people come back four times, like let's say you release a piece every month or however, you've justified your additional expense because you're, you're, instead of getting one program, you've got four and you've quadrupled your views theoretically. Um, and, and then that'll exist for a long time. Also, when I was working on Star Trek, the next generation, there were three different divisions paying for the, uh, uh, the restoration of next generation in HD. You had your home video division, you had your syndicated or strips and division that's selling all over the world, international sales. And then you had domestic sales so there were three different divisions all kicking in because the final product they could sell on a number of different platforms and hbo max i mean deborah snyder herself said well this can't go into theaters might be true but that doesn't mean you can't release it on home video how long physical media is going to stick around up to debate but i mean is hbo max going to be available all around the world there's ways to amortize costs with this product and i think the important thing is do it right you know, do it right the first time, get it done correctly. If you're going to spend the money and then you figure out a way, how do you maximize your, um, how do you pay for it? And I think breaking it in, I think, I think we're almost guaranteed to have it broken up into parts because well, we'll, just, we'll get to that later. We'll get to that. Let's not go right, into that too much because right, right, right. topics but, for later. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I'm just saying that I think I would always say do it correctly. No, I'm not saying spend lavish. You know, you do it the way it's budgeted. You, you have a realistic man. I mean, the thing about post is, you know, you're not going to go over budget. You're not going to, you know, have long days where you go over 12 hours and everyone's on double time. You've got the time. They, they haven't announced a release date. It's sometime in 2021. So you can you can effectively budget this out, realistically budget this out. Watch how much it's going to cost. Figure out how to do it effectively and as not as cheaply. I hate when people say cheap because you're paying for you're paying for what it costs, but this can be done. You have the time. You've got to get a great post supervisor, a great visual effects supervisor to sit down and a line producer to budget this thing out and, and really sit down, put the screws to that budget and make it happen. That's how I would do it. So look, I just want to be very clear about something here because I could see people misquoting me. I, I, I am not saying that Zack Snyder said it's going to cost 70 million to do. I am telling you, I've heard two conflicting things right. from two very reliable sources telling me two completely opposite things. One is saying that the actual original ask was for 70 million. One is actually telling me, no, it was always 20 to 30 million. So which one it is, I don't know. I'm just saying it. the, the 70 million one does fit more into what we've been thinking that it's got to cost more than that. But anyway, guys, the question is, what do you think? is going on here and do you think a properly done post-production thing can be done for 2030 but even if it couldn't would you as a fan still take it even if they weren't paying enough money to do it properly because it at least means you're getting it at all what are your thoughts on all that jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there all right 
With all that down, guys, let's now move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. Hit submit. It's totally free. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campion Show. With that down... Let's move on to main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Chris S., who writes, With the recent confirmation that Google Play Music is shutting down and all traffic being forced to YouTube YouTube Music requiring a subscription to get the level of service you got from Google Play Music for free, do you still think Google Play Movies is a safe, best option? All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen. Google Play Music is actually my music playing service of choice. That's that's the music service that I use. I use Google. I mean, I very much live in the Google sphere. I use Google Docs. I use Google everything. I use YouTube. I, I use Google everything. And I use Google Play Music and I use Google Movies. And my wife loves Google Play Music. Well, we've known for a while that Google Play Music was going to be shutting down. And it is now upon us. Google Play Music is shutting down. Now, they have also made it very easy that you can transfer everything over to YouTube Music, uh, which is really going to become their focal hub of their music service is going to be YouTube Music. So they're trying to declutter a little bit. But by the way, Google's a great company, but Google has also, you know, what they've not always been the best job of doing is being very clear and concise on what services they offer. I mean, hell, Rob, just go back and look at their history of chat services, right? They had Google Call and they had Google uh, Hangout and then they had Google Phone and they had now Ello, they have Google Ello, they have Google. So they've they've often, Google's often clouded and confused the space even when it comes to their own services. So now they've had several different competing services of their own. They had Google Play Music. They've got YouTube Music. You know, they've got whatever. So now it seems like they're trying to simplify that. But it does raise the interesting question of what about one of their other services? Google Movies. Because, Rob, Google Movies is my digital movie source. That's what I buy. That's where I go and buy my movies. And I have for a long time. On the rare occasion, I've also bought one here or there. But for the most part, I load up Google Play Movies. I go there. I buy the movie that I'm looking for. And that's where my library is. Hearing that Google Play Music is shutting down, I'm not going to lie to you, initially caused me a very great pang of panic. <laughs> like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? That said, there are a couple of protections in place. Number one, yes, Google Play Music is shutting down. But if that's the place where you've bought and have your playlist and all that kind of stuff, Google is not just making it disappear. They are transitioning it to another service. You still have all your stuff. It's still all there. They're making sure all your stuff is still there. So I got to believe that if for whatever reason that Google, one of the most rich and powerful companies on the earth, uh, they suddenly went out of business or decided to close that thing down, that they wouldn't have an alternative ready to go. And from there are legal protections for that as well. They, y'all all have access to those movies all the time, so I'm not really worried about it. But I'd be lying if I didn't say, Rob, that seeing a service that I enjoyed using of theirs like Google Play Music, even though I'll just be able to use YouTube Music, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you it made me a little bit worried about what does the future hold for Google Play Movies, which is, of course, the one that I use 
of the most. This brings up the whole argument that a lot of people have had. Well, you see, it's always just more reliable to have physical media. And there's truth to that. But anyway, Rob, you heard about this. What, if any, ramifications do you see there being on the movie end of things? And do you think there might be legitimate reason to be worried? You know, <laughs> I I see – here's my problem. Whenever you're dealing with cloud storage or somebody else controlling something you have, like if you want to collect movies and they're all digital copies or whatever – at anyone's whim, they can come in and they can – your terms of service, make sure that those companies, everything is always in their favor. <laughs> you know, like like the odds in the Hunger Games, the odds will ever be in Google's favor. They will never be in your favor. And if they want to come along and change things like this, they will. You know, and, and by the way, they're that company. They provide a, an incredible services that we take for granted. And when they come along and they do something like this, it's the only time people actually notice what they're doing. You know, we always have to be, we have to be ever vigilant and we have to watch exactly what these companies are doing because they do not have our best interests at heart as individuals. We and mass are their customers. The giant amorphous blob of humanity is how they're basing their business model, not on the individual. So I think it's always important to um, keep your eyes open when you go into these kinds of things. I mean, we've seen since you and I have been doing the show, various digital services, some are shutting down, things are consolidating. You know, Joe Rogan just got he just got one hundred million dollars from Spotify. That's going to totally if you're a Joe Rogan fan as I am, I'm like, well. I guess I have to get Spotify now. They're building a new video platform for Spotify. I mean, there's all kinds of craziness always happening. Um, so you just have to be careful. Now, do I think their movies are going to go away anytime soon? Probably not. Probably not. Because remember, I mean, even Netflix uses Google to um, house their streaming and, and movies. So... I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon, but all I know, John, is right here, I have all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in 4K right there. And if, you know, they ever leave Disney Plus or anywhere, I have my physical media collection and I can watch whatever I want, whenever I want. Now, there are already other services, right? Like Disney's behind that one service. What's it called? Movies to movie. There's a, there's another service where it's like all your other movie accounts, Google Play, this account, this service, this person, this service. If you have this one movies unlimited movies anywhere, I can't remember what it's called. All of your stuff gets can get funneled in there if you have the license and stuff. So, I mean, it's good. But yeah, it raises your right, Rob. It raises the question again. So. The question I have for you guys is, you hear about Google Play Music shutting down. Not everybody uses Google Play movies like I do, but if you do, does that cause you a little bit of worried? Or do you feel like, now nah, there's enough safeties and protections in place that I know I'm going to have my movies, whether Google Play Music is there or not, or Google Play Movies is there or not? How do you feel about it? Worried? Not worried? What do you think? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by our friend BMC. And BMC writes, Hey, John and crew, if Warner Brothers does decide to go the miniseries route with the Snyder Cut, do you think they will release each episode weekly or all at once? I would much rather to binge it all, but I can see Warner Brothers doing it weekly to keep subscribers around. What are your thoughts? All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, man. And yes, of course, one of the things in that Hollywood Reporter thing that came out was that they believe 
they weren't 100% sure yet about whether they're going to be releasing a close to four hour movie on HBO Max. Or they suggested they may chop it into episodes and release it as a limited series kind of an idea. If they do go the limited series idea, what will it look like? Will they do the Netflix pattern of just drop all the episodes at once or so it can be binged? Or will they do a week-to-week release, much like Disney Plus does, a week-to-week? And and HBO does for a lot of their other stuff, as a matter of fact. Go week-to-week. I'm going to tell you right now, Rob, they're going to, if they do go the miniseries route, it will absolutely be week-to-week. It will absolutely be week-to-week. And I will give you two important reasons why. All right. Here's why if they do go the miniseries route, they will go, in fact, week to week and they will not just drop it as binging. Number one, and maybe the most important is that is HBO's philosophy. HBO doesn't drop all their episodes at once. They drop their stuff week by week because they know it's the smarter way to do it. Because, you know, Rob, you and I have talked about on the show before. Great, The Witcher got dropped online on Netflix all at once. And we all binged in the first week. And by week three, nobody was talking about it anymore. However, you know, they put out Disney Plus puts out Mandalorian behind the scenes documentary. Well, let's go back to Mandalorian itself, not even the documentary. We talked nonstop about Mandalorian for over two months because new episodes were coming out each week. It created a snowball effect in word of mouth. More and more people jumped onto it. And Mandalorian was the topic of conversation for months. Stranger Things season three, two weeks later, nobody was talking about it. It's super popular. Uh, yeah, but it was done. Now it was done. HBO has followed that model. So I don't see any reason to believe they would break that. But the other important thing here in this, Rob, why I believe they will absolutely go this route and they would do it week to week, they will not drop all the episodes at once, is because you pointed out earlier, there is more benefit to HBO Max to have multiple pieces of content that remain a part of the pop cultural conversation for a longer period of time, thus bringing more benefit to HBO Max. And again, remember, AT&T and Warner Brothers are not releasing Snyder Cut on HBO Max as some sort of public favor. They're not doing it because they want to be good humanitarians. They're releasing it because they believe they can profit from it. And the way they can profit from it most is by having elongated out pop cultural conversation get more benefit from it, get more eyeballs on it, more views, because even if you only have 5 million people watching each episode, if you drop it all once, there's 5 there's five million views if you drop it as one movie form. You break it into individual episodes, well, now it's being talked about for a month, and you're getting four times the views, or five times, or six times. I've heard it could be up to anywhere up to six episodes, Rob. They could chop this thing up into six, or if they want to go the route of Mandalorian and make each episode like 30 minutes... They can make eight episodes out of this thing and really draw it out. Look, I don't 100% know for sure if they will release it as a movie or as a series, but I'm damn sure if they do release it as a series, they will absolutely release one episode per week because there's just too many advantages for them not to do it that way. And it is the way they do it with all their other content. Rob, I know you've been thinking about this a lot. So if they do go the route of putting it out episodically, do you think they take the Netflix model and drop it all all episodes at once, or do you think they go the week to week? 
Well, no, I think you astutely pointed it out. HBO's modus operandi is week to week, whether it was Watchmen, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, The Outsider. They that's what they do. I mean, that's their model. Now, let me tell you, I think for this particular thing, for for I am fascinated and I'll never know the answers because we'll never know the answers of, about the legalities of all of this. Um how does it work with the talent? How do you pay them? Is it a new thing? And I'll tell you what, you break this into, forget HBO, but you break this into a miniseries, then it's very it's very different from the Justice League movie. And it's very easy to make the case that this is a totally new thing. I don't know if it'll have a different copyright. It probably would. You know, so it's a whole different thing. So if you go back, let's say you've got your talent, right? You've got your main actors that you have to pay. And I'm sure the talent's going to have to be paid again for this. And that's part of the budget. That's 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 they would have to. You got to pay them, get them to come back. This is found money for everybody. Everybody that's involved. Can you imagine you're an actor like you're you're you you played cyborg. You're Ray. You know Ray gets the phone call. The first phone call about this, Zack Snyder said, was to Ray. He's like, "Wow, you're gonna make a, a cut? You mean I'm gonna get more of my footage that was on the cutting room floor put back? And you're gonna give me how much money? It, it doesn't matter if you're getting fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars. It's found money. So. I think the best way to do this, to make economic sense, to make legal sense, to fit in with guild rules and all of that, you break this into a miniseries, it's clearly something different. Forget HBO. Well, now it's HBO, and now it's HBO Max. And they want, like you astutely pointed out, they want this to be a water cooler show. They're going to milk this. I think it is beneficial all around. They're going to get their $70 million if they need it. They're going to get everything they want, and they're going to be able to turn this into a major event and that is completely delineated. That's it's No one's going to mistake this from the movie. This is a new thing. It's a miniseries. It's totally different. And whether they split it into half-hour chunks, hour chunks, they're going to milk this till no – I mean, I and I, I'm, I look forward to it. I think it's great. Make it into something new. Would I prefer to watch a four-hour movie? Well, yeah, but you know what? I'll binge all four hours when it's available. But for the time being, string this shit out, man. Make this. You want to wring out every droplet of value you can get out of this. And I think by making it a four-hour event, or maybe even it's four hours, maybe it's uh, five hours. Who knows? Why not? I'll tell you this right now, Rob. You will not binge all four hours. You will. You. I know you. You oh. will not wait till all four, no, no, no. five, six, seven episodes. No. You're gonna watch it day one that it's that it drops. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'll watch it weekly, but then I'll probably binge it. I mean, if it's decent, uh, I will watch it a number of times. And look, it. I, I know you like Justice League. I was extremely disappointed in Justice League. In my mind, it can only be better. And I look every one of Zack Snyder's extended versions of anything I've enjoyed better than the theatrical version, whether it was Dawn of the Dead, whether it was Watchmen. I don't know if there's an extended version of Sucker Puncher 300, but but uh, and uh, bring it on. So bring on this extended version. I can't wait. Can't wait. I'm really excited for this. I mean, I'm really excited for this. Guys, the question is for you. If they do go the route, and we don't know that they are for sure, it looks like they might, but we don't know for sure. But if they do go the route of making it episodic, how do you think HBO will or should 
handle it. Will they follow their normal procedure of re- releasing it week to week with the benefits there? Or do you think they'll go the Netflix route and just drop them all at once? What do you guys think they're going to do? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today, staying in the DC universe, gets sent to us from our friend, Calum, who writes, would you think what or what would probably meant? What do you think? Not what do you think? What do you think the chances of Warner Brothers releasing David Ayer's version of Suicide Squad are after the news of the Snyder Cut was announced? I love the first 45 minutes of Suicide Squad. Then it turns into a bit of a mess. An Ayer cut of the film might give Jared Leto a chance to shine as Joker. I thought he was very underused in the film. Let me know your thoughts. Love the show all the way from Australia. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, Caleb. And yeah, Rob. It just in the heartbeat, in a heartbeat, the conversation suddenly turned to the air cut of Suicide Squad. Now, listen, Suicide Squad is a movie to me that I acknowledge is a hot mess of a movie. I acknowledge that. But I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you I also liked it. I had fun. You know, when I went to go watch Suicide Squad, I had fun. Yeah, it it has its problems. I'm not denying it. And I don't blame anybody who doesn't like the movie. I'm not blaming anybody who doesn't like the movie. But to me, there was a lot of fun in it. And to me, the best part of the movie was this awful, destructive, toxic, poisonous, codependent relationship between Joker and Harley Quinn. And I actually thought the movie needed a lot more of it. And of course, we all know that the, the final cut of the movie that we got was not really the main cut that we wanted or that David Ayer wanted, uh, ultimately. Well, with all the conversations going around, and by the way, AT&T even kind of stoking the flames a little bit on Twitter, uh, David Ayer came out and kind of gave his definitive thoughts on, you know, what were the possibilities of a David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad actually coming about and coming to be. And It sounds like David Ayer doesn't himself think it's all that likely. But anyway, this is what David Ayer said regarding that. He said, it is simply not my call or my IP. I love Warner Brothers. It's always been my quote unquote home studio. I fully respect and support the incredible path that the DCU is taking under their stewardship. My cut of Suicide Squad may always be just a rumor and that's just fine. So David Ayer, it doesn't sound all that, you know, positive that such a thing will happen but you know one of the reasons a lot of people are talking about this rob is because you know at&t has responded to some to some people to kind of stoke the fires a little bit as a matter of fact one person wrote into at&t hey give us a now that you're doing this with snyder cut give us a david air cut and at&t wrote wrote this one thing at a time one thing at a time to which you know david ayer then saw that and he responded to it saying hey i'm standing by i'm ready to go so anyway rob it does bring up the question of do we think we could see a re-release of suicide squad i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna listen listen anything's possible if they think they can benefit from it anything's possible i'll tell you why i don't think it will here are the reasons why i don't think it will number one This is a different situation. You know, people had not, there haven't been people clamoring for an air cut of the Suicide Squad, at least not anywhere near to the degree as there was for Justice League. So that's kind of a a very different situation there in and of itself. Number two, Suicide Squad is not nearly as beloved as a, just on its own, 
is not as beloved as, as an IP as, say, Justice League is, nor is it as important to the overall DCU as a Justice League is, right? So there's that. So I think there's a lot of differences here. However, can't say it's impossible. Because, like, let's say, for instance, that um, the Justice League thing happens. And let's say it enjoys some modest success on HBO Max. They might look at that as saying, hey, here's a really cheap way for us to get another pop by just take it, take the existing footage, re-edit it, put it back out only for post-production costs. It's a possibility. But Rob, because of all the differences between the situation with Justice League and Suicide Squad, and because a lot of what David Ayer said, I don't think it's going to happen. But I mean, AT&T seems to be teasing, although that could just be teasing. I don't know. Rob, you're seeing all this. Do you think AT&T and Warner Brothers are seriously right now looking, given what David Ayer just said, but do you think they could be seriously looking at maybe doing the same treatment with Suicide Squad? Well, John, I think the exact same thing that happened to Justice League happened to Suicide Squad, which is that a studio, the studio management balked at, at both movies. They balked at the approach. It was all a money issue. They were responding to what they perceived to be incorrect decisions. Or they—they they were at that point. They were looking over at Disney, going, "Why aren't we making movies like you know the MCU? And why aren't we making that kind of money? And why are these movies so dark? And they have to be funnier." And blah, blah, blah. and I think that the same thing that happened to Justice League happened to Suicide Squad. And I think it was compromised because executives balked and they blinked. And I mean, when they're pulling in famously trailer companies to recut their movie, which is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. But I understand why when you're executives that don't actually know how films are made, even though you're running a studio, most executives have never made movies themselves. So they don't know the process. Everybody thinks they do, but they don't really. So Suicide Squad was just as compromised albeit in a little different way than justice league was so i could see i hated suicide squad i hated it. i i wanted to walk out when i watched that movie because of the way it was edited i just couldn't i'm like what is this and i i thought it was the worst edited studio film i have ever seen and it drove me bananas and i would love i would love to see a david ayer version of this movie now I don't know if we're ever going to get it because it didn't exactly lose money. It wasn't a failure. As a matter of fact, it made a lot more money than people thought it was going to make. So it, it, the ultimate end story of Suicide Squad is not the debacle that Justice League was. So maybe they aren't going to do that. However, if HBO gets – if they rack up huge numbers on this Justice League cut, I could see them doing the exact same thing because why not? Why not? I mean, with Quentin Tarantino recuts Hateful Eight, which is already three hours long, and puts it on as a four-episode series on Netflix, maybe this will be the wave of the future for some of these movies. Maybe Paramount. You know what this says to me? It says to me that Paramount's going to go in and, and do the director's cut of Star Trek The Motion Picture at 4K <laughs> and release it episodically, which is, which is awesome because the director's cut has only ex ever existed in standard definition. I could see this happening a lot now with streaming services. It would be interesting. It would be interesting. I mean, the idea of repurposing content is, I mean, listen, it's something that really 
it has found its incubation in YouTube. Like YouTube creators and whatever are constantly trying to find ways to repurpose existing content, right? And if there's ways you can inexpensively repurpose content and get like fresh life out of it, that's a pretty cost beneficial way of doing things if you can get the right property and make it work. But I agree with you. I don't know if Suicide Squad is the one that 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 can work with. I'm not I'm just not sure. It would be interesting. Uh but I just think David Ayer's comments are pretty soon that. But the question is guys, what do you think about that? Do you think we could see them go the route and give us another version of Suicide Squad where people be remotely as interested in that as they would be in say a Justice League thing? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down Let's do one more main topic. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Sam Sprill, who writes, Paul Feig, director of Bridesmaids, recently did an interview stating that there will be no Bridesmaids sequel, saying that there's no emotional and engaging story left to tell like the first movie Bridesmaids was a critical and financial success. Why not take the risk for a sequel what are your thoughts all right thanks for sending that in sam and listen bridesmaids oh look there's no other way to put it bridesmaids is awesome bridesmaids is a wonderful i was you if you guys remember and had watched me for long enough to know just before that movie came out i was a little skeptical of it even though i thought the trailers were quite funny i was still a little bit skeptical of it i loved this movie I thought it was all kinds of fantastic. It was hilarious. And Harville, Kristen Wiig is just gold. Kristen Wiig is absolute gold. Now, of course, Paul Paul Feig directed that, but he also did a couple of other really successful films with Melissa McCarthy. He did um, uh, Heat that was really successful, did great with the audience and the critics and made a good amount of money. He did My Spy. Or not my spy, it's just spy. Spy, that yeah. Melissa McCarthy did with Jason. I Statham, really like that movie. <laughs> which, which was a movie that was much better than I thought it had any business being. And I, yeah. I, 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 I remember I even delayed watching it, and I waited till some other people saw it. And they came back to say, "John, it's really good." I'm like, seriously? It looked. I mean, I love Jason Statham and everything, but yeah. really, and it was really great. So anyway, what's going on here is Paul Feig was recently asked about whoever the, whether he'd ever go back. And do another Bridesmaids. Go and revisit those those characters again. Uh, and he basically gave the kibosh on it. Here's an excerpt from... He said more about it, but this is an excerpt of what he said. He said <laughs> so, so to do a sequel, I think you're basically just going to have to have a funny wedding. And I've seen those movies a million times. And some of them are good. And some of them are like, okay, whatever. It's obviously up to Kristen Wiig. She's the keeper of the keys on that. Because she, of course, wrote the film as well. But it would have been, but it would have to be something that you can emotionally engage in again and not just go, it's Megan's crazy wedding in the Bahamas and all kinds of hijinks happen. That could be funny, but I just think you need more for a movie to be great. All right. So that comes from Paul Feig talking about Bridesmaids. And listen, I get where he's coming from because one of the things that I always say in the show, Rob, is that, look. The story is not there to serve the characters and the characters are not there to serve the actors. The actors are there to serve the characters and the characters are there to serve the story, right? I say that all the time. That being said, I think with comedy, I think that rule changes a little bit with when it comes to comedy, because I'm going to tell you right now, Bridesmaids, which I think is wonderful. It wasn't wonderful 
because of the emotional story between Kristen Wiig and she's struggling, feeling that she's losing her best friend while her worlding's falling apart. All that stuff was good and all that stuff added to the movie. Make no mistake about it. But in terms of a pure comedy, Rob, to me, the heart of this movie was the characters and their dynamic together. Because when you look at that scene, I mean, I know you remember the scene, Rob, but the scene that I nearly passed out in the theaters, I was laughing so hard. When all the girls go into the bridesmaids dress part thing to try on the bridesmaids dresses, but they had all had ate the gray meat and they all were starting to have their digestion problems. Oh my God. I thought I, I seriously thought I was going to vomit. I was laughing so hard at that stuff. But that was all aside from the story. You know, it was just these characters, their dynamic, their chemistry and how it worked. That's why when they were doing Hangover 2, even though Hangover 2 didn't work out all that well, but still when they were doing Hangover 2 and people were saying, but you know, you've already done the story. I was just like, yeah, but I just want to go and hang out with those characters again for a couple of hours. You know, that's why Supernatural to me, the story of Supernatural has not been all that strong for a few years, but I've still loved the show because just week to week, I just really love these characters and their fun dynamic together. And I just like hanging out with them. And I would suggest to Paul Feig that while it's true, if you're going to do Bridesmaids 2, I don't think you should base it. Or, oh, look, there's another wedding and we're doing it all again. But just show us, come up with a story that just gives us an excuse to have these characters together again, doing the funny. Because this at its heart was a comedy. And I think for comedies, I think the rules, Rob, I've always said this before. When it comes to comedy and horror movies, comedy and horror share this thing in common. In a comedy, you can do almost everything wrong in a movie. As a filmmaker, you can do almost everything wrong. But if you make the audience laugh, everything else is forgiven. Much like horror, you can make you can make every wrong decision in making a horror movie. But if you make people feel creeped out watching the horror movie, a lot of that can be forgiven. And I think so with a comedy in a franchise like Bridesmaids, I feel like you could get away with a little bit more. But I, I don't know. Rob, you hear and read Kevin Feige's um, Paul Feig. I keep wanting to say Feige. I keep wanting to say I know, Kevin Feige. I know. Paul Feig's comments on this. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think that a, that a property like Bridesmaids is something you should push forward? Or do you think... You should still follow really good sound filmmaking wisdom. Start with story. And if you've got story, then you move forward. And if you don't have good story, don't. How do you feel about this situation? Look, I think his I I, I think he's right. Because, you know, the that I, I thought Bridesmaids was hilarious. I, I I loved it. And I keep thinking, you know, John, it's it's yesterday was the thirty first anniversary of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And that came out in the summer of 89. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade turned 31 years old yesterday. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Please continue. And, and wow. the summer of 89 had Ghostbusters 2 come out. And I remember, you know, I didn't like Ghostbusters 2 very much at all. And I loved the first Ghostbusters. And I, I remember just thinking, you know, unless you have a great story to tell, it's not enough I, I, to just try, I understand as a money-making proposition, maybe, but you know, there's something about leaving something alone. I mean, Paul Feig wants to go off and make more movies. If you go back and you rehash Bridesmaids 
again, unless you had the greatest script in the world, you're going to wind up with the hangover two or the hangover three, you know, where, where it's just the law of diminishing returns. And why do that? Why not spend your time making something that's new that could potentially be as good, if not better than bridesmaids that people haven't seen before. And I think, I think it's really astute what he was saying. Now, do I think there could be other stories in that universe? And do I think those the, the the cast of that movie, the main characters, were great? I mean, the ensemble, the actresses in that film killed me, dude. Killed me. And and I would love to see them. But why not get those same actresses together and tell some totally different story that isn't a sequel to Bridesmaids? And I I, I think he's right. I, I, I like hearing him say that. He's not he's not really like, yeah, I'm going to go cash in. He he. He, because it doesn't always work. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Guys, question here for you is, what do you think about that? Do you think that even in something that is as pure of a comedy as, say, Bridesmaids, that like other filmmaking things, story should come first? Do you think maybe in comedy there should be a little bit more flexibility there, saying, hey, it's about the characters and their chemistry together? Do you like what Paul Feig's saying there? Jump down to the comments section below and let us know what you guys think. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, we're now going to move on to our live questions part of the show. And how do you get your question or comment live on the live part of the show here? Well, it's simple. You simply go to the tip link that you can see in the top of the description of this video. There's the link there. You can just click or you can just go to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Now, I will announce again that we have at least for the foreseeable future turned off Super Chats on YouTube. There was an issue going on on the back end of YouTube where people were sending in Super Chats and they'd pop up and appear, but they were not going into YouTube's logs and they were disappearing and we went through a day or two where people sent in super chats and we couldn't answer the questions because they just disappeared out of the logs. We want to make sure that doesn't happen again. So we'll wait to see when YouTube gets that all sorted out for now. That's the best way and the only way to send in those questions is use the tip link there. So if you guys will be patient and indulgent with us, Rob and I are going to do as we do every day. We're going to take a quick couple of minute break, wrestle vocal cords, stretch the legs, go refill our drinks, give you a chance to run and use the bathroom yourselves. So if you guys will be patient Hang in there with us. Robert and I will be right back. We'll see you in just a couple of minutes. All right, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as Rob and I took a little bit of a break there. For now, let's dive into your questions. We're going to get things started off here with an anonymous viewer who writes in, Captain America, the first Avenger is great. I love that movie. Uh, loved him getting the flag off the pole, jumping on the grenade, and the conversation the doctor had with him in the barracks. Promise me you will stay who you are. Not a perfect soldier, but a good man. I Listen, I often, Rob, talk about how to me, the most underrated comic book film of all time, and it's, of course, Man of Steel. But I think in the top three most underappreciated ones, there's also the first Kenneth Branagh Thor movie. I think that's very underappreciated. But also Captain America, the first Avenger. Because a lot of times when people talk about the weaker MCU movies, a lot of people will bring up the first Avenger. And the more I watch that movie, the more I'm like, this movie's wonderful. This is a wonderful I don't know, Rob, your thoughts on it. Dude, I love that movie, and I feel the same way. I mean, I liked it. Joe Johnston directed The Rocketeer, and he made Captain America the First Avenger. Talk about a double feature, man. I mean, what a what a great bunch. Uh, what a, a, a Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, love I it. agree. 
I agree. All right. Next up, Willow writes, I didn't love Shazam, but I quite enjoyed the movie. I thought that Asher Angel and Zachary Levi portrayed the character differently. Billy was quieter and more mature, whereas Shazam was more hyperactive and goofy. Did you feel that way? I only, I, not really. There was a point where I did, but when you notice that in kid form, when there is stuff going on, his energy level is quite up. His energy, his energy level is quite high. And then even when he's in Shazam form, like when he's talk, sitting down talking with his foster sister and she doesn't know who he is yet, you can see his level comes down to where it is normally when he's the kid. So I found that I, I personally actually, upon reflection, I thought there was more consistent than otherwise. I really did. And I got to tell you, I loved that movie. I adored Shazam. I think it might be. It might be my second favorite DCEU movie. I think it might be my second favorite DCEU movie behind Man of Steel. Um, I just thought it was wonderful and heartfelt and charming. And I thought it was more consistent because I think if you look again, the kid when he's having in his in his higher energy situations and, you know, uh, Zach Levi's version of him, I think they're very similar. And then when the energy level's down, I found them to be similar there too. But any, that's just my thoughts. It's a good observation though, Willow. Something to look for. All right, next up. Everything Entertainment writes, tip for those who want to start learning the craft but can't afford the time or finances for film school. I found an absolute wealth of free uh, filmmaking courses just on YouTube. Everything including writing, directing, producing, editing, cinematography, etc. I completely agree. One of the great things about YouTube, whenever there's something I'm trying to figure out to do, my first thing I do, Rob, the very first thing I do now is I go over to YouTube. It's like I'm trying to figure out how to, I don't know, I need to I need to clean out the 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 sink pipe in my bathroom. I don't know how to do that. Look up YouTube. Hey, there's this little thing in this piece of software I can't figure out. First thing I do, I don't open the manual. I go and open a YouTube Me video too. and go look it's for it. It's the best. <laughs> but but I would also say that that is a great way to get started. It won't replace, though, actually going to a film school. Don't, don't think it one is as, as, as a complete replacement for it, but as a way to get started, as a way to really get your feet into it, I think, yeah, just go up, go onto YouTube and find people who have done it and hear from them. And there's a lot of good stuff on there, Rob. I know you yourself, you go to YouTube a lot to try to figure a bunch of things out. So what do you think about that? All the time. <laughs> I mean, like, like software issues, especially with editorial software, when I have a graphics problem or effects problem that I need to like, I don't know how to do this. Um, I go to YouTube and then boom, I know how to do it. And I thank God for all the lovely people out there who've made free tutorials. And I think there's no better way to learn, John. And it's I'm just astonished just how much stuff people have made tutorials for. It's great. Oh, yeah. You name it. There's a tutorial for it. There's a tutorial for it online. And, and you're absolutely right. Don't use, well, I can't afford to go to film school as an excuse to not start. One of the things I'm always saying, Rob, do something every day that gets you a little bit closer to your goal. If you want to be a filmmaker, if that's your goal, okay, then do something today. Spend some hours today sitting down and just watching YouTube. You might not be able to go to film school right now. Do that. And I think that's great. a, a great thing that they just brought up. All right. Uh, Jordan uh, Genovese writes, John, have you watched DC Stargirl yet? I have not. Uh, I do plan on it, but I have not watched it yet. In my opinion, it's really good, and it helps that Jeff Johns is in charge of the show. However, after it aired on the DCEU, the CW cut about 12 minutes of the episode to put it on TV, which is very frustrating. What do you think? Um, I get, I, It's hard for me to have 
an opinion because I have not watched it. Right. So since I haven't watched it, I can't really have a very distinctive opinion about it, about what, you know, was the 12 minutes they cut useless fat that they cut out? Was it important 12 minutes? I mean, I don't know. I do know, though, that it brings up the other issue that Rob and I have talked a lot about, which is the fact that I don't think there's any point in I don't think DC Universe service is going to be around much longer. Um, they are moving all the shows that were supposedly exclusive to the DCU. They're all now going to other homes. So I don't really see anything about that. Rob, I haven't asked, had a chance to ask you yet. Have you watched any of Stargirl yet? No, but people have written me to tell me that how, how great it is. And the only reason I didn't jump on that was because. I don't have the I don't have the DC streaming service uh, and I don't okay. want to I don't want to watch a cut episode but I'm you know I'm really curious about it because like I've got Jeff Johns run of JSA and I, I'm a fan so I would love to I, I want to see it I really want to see it all right next up here comes to us from Canada rocks who writes the internet is for porn still one of my all-time favorite funniest YouTube videos ever uh, was originally from the 2004 Tony award-winning musical Avenue Q I did not know this which is basically rent with puppets uh, it's one of my favorite Broadway soundtracks it includes the song my girlfriend who lives in Canada worth a listen so if you guys know what we're talking about this came up the other day and Rob I don't know if you've ever seen this video but there's a video on YouTube and it became a viral video before YouTube even existed. But it's World of Warcraft. Some players, some somebody took World of Warcraft characters and used it as shots, right? And then they put the song to it called The Internet is for Porn. Yeah, I, I um, remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Grab your dick and double click porn, porn, porn. It is one of the <laughs> funniest things you'll see on YouTube. If you have not seen it, Go and look for it. Just search YouTube. Internet is for porn Warcraft. And it'll be the first thing that pops up. I did not know that actually came from an existing Broadway show, dude. Thank you for sharing that, Canada Rocks. I learned something new every day from you guys. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Next up, uh, Crimson King writes, Hey, John. Hope you're doing well. I am doing well. Thank you. I finally got around to watching Doom Patrol. And wow, that show has so much heart and depth among the wackiness. The characters are so relatable and compelling. I cannot wait for the next season. Dude, you and me both. I, you know, Rob, I've talked a lot about how this was a show I had no interest in watching at all, and everybody told me to watch it. It's not just fun. It's smart. This is a smart show that wraps issues that you would expect to find in deep Warner Brother dramas, <laughs> like compelling issues of loss and identity and struggle and like uh, there's political stuff in there too and all that kind of stuff and they wrap it into this bonkers wacky comic book show it is simply one of this i'll say this it's the smartest written comic book material for the screen i think i've ever seen and, and it's 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 profoundly intelligent the way they do it and, and i can't remember rob you've you've watched suicides or suicide squad not suicide squad you've watched doom patrol yes yeah what what are you what are your and, thoughts on that? And it's coming uh, back soon, season two. Well, no, I I'm I'm a huge fan. I caught up with it late, and I, you know, I was a huge fan of the comic run, the Vertigo Comics version of it, and I I was I was actually blown away. It might be my favorite DC television adaptation that's currently running of all of it, everything from DC. I think it's, I mean, it's phenomenal. I love it. And it's going to be on HBO Max, if I'm not. Is it HBO Max yes. that it's going to be on? Yes, it yeah. is. Oh, 
Oh my God, I cannot wait. I cannot wait for season two. I'm sorry, guys, if you have not started watching Doom Patrol, go get on that because it is it is really something special. All right, Clay writes, do you think Will Smith is a better dramatic actor or action star? I also think he's one of the most uh, overall talented actors, entertainers, taking everything he can do into account. That's a good question because he is a legitimately great dramatic actor. However, He's also one of the best action stars we've had in the last 20 years, last 15, 20 years. He's simply one of the best action stars we've had in the last 15 or 20 years. Um, and while he does have an Academy Award nomination to his credit, and deservedly so, he is a very good dramatic actor. I think he's even a better action star than he is a dramatic actor. That's not taking anything away from his, his dramatic chops. Rob, if you had to pick right now, Will Smith, the action star, Will Smith, the dramatic actor, which one takes the cake for you? You know, I I really like him. Like, I loved him in I Am Legend. And right. I thought he was both an action star and a dramatic actor. I really enjoy seeing that side of him. I think he's a very versatile actor. And, you know, I thought he kicked ass in Gemini Man. But I like it when he can. He, I also like him. Dude, I love Hitch. Yeah, I a lot of people Hitch. love Hitch. <laughs> I mean, I thought he was great. I I love that movie. I mean, I you know, it's right up there with like I Love You Man as a favorite modern comedy. I mean, it's not so modern anymore, but I just think Will Smith is a great versatile actor and I really like seeing him stretch in whatever direction he he goes in. And the fact that he can be an action star, um, you know, Bad Boys for Life was better than I thought it was going to be. And um, I like the fact that they were playing their ages, ages too. It's he's a great actor. He's just a great presence, and I dig watching him. All right. Next up, an anonymous viewer writes, I have a three-year-old daughter, and she loves Disney+. Plus. We were watching episodes of Pixar in real life. They are entertaining even for me. Just good family fun, short episodes. Uh, they did Inside Out, Wally, Toy Story, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Now, that's stuff I haven't started watching yet, and it very much is very much to the Disney Plus DNA about what they want their network to be. Um, but Rob, you know, if I can, if I can uh, pivot off that anonymous... Rob, I finally got around to oh. watching episode four of the Mandalorian behind the scenes documentary, and I'm People watching it. And, I, and the first thing I thought it was, this is what Rob's been waiting for. The yes. stuff they were talking about on that. What, what did you think about that? Uh, this latest episode of that Mandalorian behind the scenes thing? Well, it's a, you're exactly right. I mean, it dealt with all the production that I wanted to see. I mean, I still. There's still a lot of questions that I have, but in terms of how they actually made this series and how they they're it, what they're doing is breaking new ground on production methodology that is going to be adopted. It's going to be industry standard in the next two or three years. What you wait, and they they did it first, and it was again it, it it grew out of Favreau's experiences on both Jungle Book and and Lion King and how it's how it's moved forward and it was fascinating and i'm like i get where they're going but this to me finally after four episodes i'm like oh here's what i want i thought it was great yeah i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed it by the way side note guys there are three really pr compelling documentaries on right now there's of course the last dance with michael jordan which you absolutely have to go and watch uh there's this mandalorian one and listen this one will surprise you but you've heard me say this before there is a docu-series on right now called the last ride 
uh, about the world famous WWE wrestler, The Undertaker. You do not have, I would suggest maybe even if you're not a wrestling fan, you will be even more fascinated by this documentary than those who are not. It is incredible. Like the amount of behind the scenes access that they've had is covering the last three years of the career of The Undertaker. It is so compelling and so good. If you get a chance, and I'm telling you, you do not need to be a wrestling fan ever in your life to really be absolutely enthralled with this docuseries. So a lot of good docuseries stuff going on right now. Anyway, D.A. Miller writes. Hello, John. Just Memorial Day uh, movie recommendation. The one that has the best tagline when 400. Oh, this is Dunkirk. When 400,000 men could not get home, home came for them. That is an insanely good tagline. Dunkirk, that gets me choked up on this day. Remember those who gave uh, us their all for this holiday. Uh, the best Memorial Day movie for me is Charlton Heston's Midway 1976. Nothing wrong with the remake, but 1976 was the movie that my father, a World War II vet, took my brother and a 10-year-old me to go see before his stroke. It reminds me of those we lost and remember. Well, it's always special, man, when you can have when movies create that special connection, right? Like they create memories and moments that you then cherish forever. And like I was talking when my uh, the guy who I grew up with was my best friend growing up when he died a couple of years ago, it made that movie that when he and I went to go see the Michael Keaton Batman, where a couple of just young teenagers going to see Batman for the first 31 time. 31 years ago, John. Woo. 31 years ago, the, uh, the next month. Yep. And we were kids, man. And we were going, it just, it, you know, it created that special moment and memory we'll always have. But yeah, Dunkirk, dude. Uh, Dunkirk, I remember I was like a day or two behind everybody else seeing Dunkirk. And there were some people saying, oh, I don't know. It didn't really work for us. I'm like, oh, maybe this will be the one that Christopher Nolan drops the ball. I thought the movie was wonderfully made. I, I loved that movie. Too. That tagline is certainly, certainly great. Uh, Rob, what your thoughts on either Dunkirk or Midway? What, what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> Dunkirk and Midway. Well, when I was a kid, I loved Midway. I saw Midway in the theater and uh, I thought it was great. Um Look, I love anything to do with World War II, but Dunkirk, like Saving Private Ryan, my favorite word, brought a verisimilitude to a World War II movie like I'd never seen. It was different than Saving Private Ryan, but you really felt that, my God, that you were there. It felt like you were watching a documentary almost, but the way he played with the three different storylines and time and everything and... Even the aerial sequences, his use of models, and you couldn't tell. It, there was no CG in it. So you bought it utterly, and oh, it was scary and dramatic. And uh, you just felt it from that opening scene where those guys were scrambling around the, the, the city trying to get to the beach, being shot at by Nazis around every corner. I mean, it was, I loved Dunkirk. Yeah, and it loved stands, it. It, uh, yeah, and it just makes me even more excited for where we may see him go. Um, you know, with with, uh, with tenant and 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 uh, you know, oh, I, it's funny because I didn't when I said Midway, I was thinking about the original Midway. <laughs> you know, that was made in the seventies, but I thought Roland Emmerich's Midway wasn't so bad. <laughs> I I I uh, I, I kind of liked it. I mean, it's totally opposite. A lot of CG, a lot of shots. I'm like, okay, but it was better than I thought it was going to be. Rob, that was the I, reaction. I think a lot of people had that reaction. A lot of people say, yeah. you know what? This is everybody thought it was going to be a disaster, but it's you know what? It's actually not that bad. It's so, funny. I was I, when, when we were talking about Midway. I was I, I just I always snap back to the original, but I realized 
wait a minute. That's not what they asked. <laughs> it was like, but I, you know, again, World War II. That's why I'm looking so forward to Tom Hanks' new World War II miniseries about the uh, Greyhound fight. Yeah, I can't. Well, that, but they, they're going to do the third part. There's the Band of Brothers, the Pacific. Now they're going to do one about the air war. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't wait, dude. Can't wait. All right. Next up here, Paddington 2's Oscar rights. I love Paddington 2, by the way. Hey, John and Rob, now that uh, Multiverse of Madness has been pushed to 2022, do you think WandaVision will be pushed as well? If they are as connected as Marvel says, shouldn't they be released closer together? This is part of the the problem, Rob, with the shared cinematic universe stuff is it creates all sorts of complications. I, I don't know. And look, I don't think it'll matter. I think as long as WandaVision comes out first, it doesn't matter if, you know, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness comes out within three months of when WandaVision airs. I think my guess is, and I don't know this, I'm just guessing. My guess is as long as, you know, WandaVision comes out first, it won't really matter. So, but listen, WandaVision is probably going to get pushed because I, I don't think they were completely done on everything on that by the time the pandemic shut stuff down. So it, it might be pushed regardless, but if it is pushed at all, that'll be the reason it's pushed. I don't think it's going to be pushed because they have to release it within a certain amount of time of Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Because what they're not going to do, Rob, they're not going to create a scenario where, oh, if you don't have Disney, Disney Plus, you might as well not even bother coming to, to the movie to see Doctor Strange movie, everybody. Might as well not. They're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. Uh, that would be suicidal and completely against Bob Iger's philosophy on things. But it'll be stuff that adds to it and you benefit from it. But yeah, I don't know, Rob, what do you think? Do you think they're going to try to keep these things as closely connected as possible? Or do you think they might allow there to be a bit of a gap in between the two? I think there's going to be a gap. I I, I mean, I, I would. I, I mean, they still need to let things breathe. You know, I mean, it, it, the way everything we, we go roughshod through all this stuff now, I still think they need to let you got to develop these things. You can't just throw it all up against the wall and expect, I don't know, expect it all to stick. You've got to give it time. Right. All right. Next one up. The Sock writes, today is my birthday. Happy birthday, dude. May you have a glorious one and a glorious year ahead of you, sir. I hope you have a great birthday today. I was supposed to go to the drive-in, but they were sold out. Oh, that sucks. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty disappointed because it's the only thing I've been looking forward to for weeks. I'm going to go get high and watch something, but it's not the same. Anyway, in the spirit of birthdays, what is your favorite movie that came uh, and was released on your birthday and that you went to go see on your birthday? Uh, unfortunately, I can't answer that question. I don't know off the top of my head what the movies are that came out on my birthday or which movies I saw on my birthday. So I, I don't keep a running record of that in my head. But you raise it. I'm glad you brought something up here, Sock, because we were talking a little bit earlier about how I'm telling people, listen, do not underestimate how much people are itching to get back into some kind of normal normalcy. And I've been telling people, while I understand there's a lot of people are going to be cautious about going back to movie theaters because of everything, I am telling you, when the movie theaters open, a lot of people are going to want to go. Whether that's smart or dumb, that's a different question. But I'm telling you, a lot of people are going to want to go. And I think the very fact that just movie, like drive-in theaters, are turning people away, I think it speaks to that. So I'm really sorry to hear that. But Rob, you're you're hearing this as well. Like people are trying to go to the drive-ins for heaven's sakes and they can't get in. Like, do you think that speaks to the situation we were talking about a little bit earlier? Or do you think that's kind of a separate thing? No, I look, I, I think 
even I, John, I think people want to get out and go do something, go do anything. You know, I've been going to restaurants that I frequent to, and I order food and go pick it up from them, you know? I, I think everybody wants normality, normalcy, normality. They all want their lives back. They all just want to like, I'm going to get in the car because I need to go pick something up at Target. Now it's like, I can't do that. I got to wear a mask. I got to be socially distanced. I think people just want their lives back. I want to go to movies. I don't want to go to a drive-in. I like drive-ins, but I want to go to a movie theater. I want to walk through the doors and smell the popcorn. I want to look up at the board and see when my movie starts. I just want to... I just want the world to go back to the way it was. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think there are a lot of people who do. All right. And again, happy birthday, Sock. All right. Next up, uh, Ryan Loner writes, uh, Colin from What We Do in the Shadows, which is such a good show. We Dude, just talked this weekend about how it was renewed for season three. It's so good. I, oh, it's so good. Um, let's see uh, what we're saying here. Colin from What We Do in the Shadows is legitimately one of the scariest characters on TV right now. It's kind of the same thing as uh, the nail from A Quiet Place. Just a bit easier to imagine someone like him actually existing. You know, it's funny, though. Like, Ann and I were having this conversation. I said this on the show the other day, Rob, that I think Colin is actually the most powerful vampire on the show. Like, he's actually the most he can. He actually he's the only kind of vampire that actually feeds on other vampires. And have you seen that episode yet where he gets promoted to boss in his office? Yes, I have. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, that episode. Like when he just comes around the corner, he's got he's got the hair and all this kind of stuff. And he's just like, it's five o'clock somewhere. People like to. it's you know what? And I got to admit. Rob, when when I first started watching the show, I didn't know that I liked that character. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. It's a joke that the people who suck the life out of you. Uh, he's become one of my favorite dudes on the show. I love well, this character. The, the writing is so good. Yeah. You know, I mean, the writing is so good. <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, yeah. Any excuses I have to talk about that show. All right. John, uh, 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 Lil Lobaker, I'm sure I mispronounced that right. I think cannibals are just fed up with Google, uh, fed up with people. I get it. Fed up with. Uh, OK, I'll give you the shot. I'll give that one to you. John. I don't know, dude. That was pretty bad. <laughs> just fed up with people. I get it. I get it. All right. Garrett Couch writes, I have to admit, I can't wait to get a large drink from the Coke Freestyle. 80 percent. Uh, uh. Dasani sparkling water, 20% diet fuse raspberry tea. It's my uh, guiltless soda at the movies. Since you can't have Zevia, is that a great soda? Or you can, uh, and that is a great soda. Uh, do you have a go-to drink? Yeah, I do, and I shouldn't. But when I go to the movies, I have a Diet Coke. It, or Coke Zero if it's available. Now, I am, I've said this before on the show. Between Coke and Pepsi, I prefer Coke. But for whatever reason, when it comes to the diet versions, I really prefer Diet Pepsi over Diet Coke. So it's kind of weird. I prefer Coke over Pepsi, but I prefer Diet Pepsi over Diet Coke. But at the movie theaters, for the most part, they just have the Coke products. So I normally have that. I should try doing a new mixture, though, uh, with with that stuff. Because, yes, Zevia or Zevia, however you pronounce it, I don't care. Hashtag Zevia. Sponsor me, you sons of bitches. Because I'm drinking your damn soda every freaking day. And I do love that product. I do. I love it so much. Uh, but, yeah, listen. Just like what Rob was just saying, Garrett, to get back into the theater to smell the popcorn in the air, to have your mouth starting to water. There's nothing to me like having a, a handful of 
popcorn, movie popcorn, and then following it up with a sip of soda. I don't know why. I don't do that any other time. I don't do that at home. I don't do it anywhere else. But when I'm in a movie theater, I got to have it. So I'm completely with that. And I might even try your your mixture there. I think I will give that mixture of yours a shot the next time I'm there. All right. Isaac Beebe writes, I just watched Misery with Kathy Bates. Amazing. One Kathy Bates in Academy Award, by the way. I uh, just watched Misery with Kathy Bates for the first time. And holy crap, she legit terrified me. And I can see why she won her Oscar for it. I already loved her in Titanic, but she was amazing. This James Caan was great, too. And Rob, really, look, her career was around before that. But that was the movie that put Kathy Bates on the map. And she has never stopped being brilliant. Uh, no. Even in the, uh, the the Clint Eastwood movie she just did about the uh, Atlanta Olympic bombing. What was um, uh, the, the guy's the name, name of the character? Yeah, the name of the character's name in the movie. I'm freezing up. But even in that, she's great. I mean, that's the one to me. What are, what are your thoughts on the movie as a whole and Kathy Bates? Dude, I love – well, you know, Rob Reiner doing another Stephen King adaptation after Stand By Me. I mean, I I, I love the book. I read that book when I was in college, and I thought the movie was amazing amazing and uh she was amazing they're both are amazing it's a great it's a great stephen king adaptation too so yeah. um yeah if no, you guys have not seen misery you've got to watch misery like you absolutely have to watch misery all right uh next up just a couple more here we've got time with rob here the halo brony writes on may 27th spacex and nasa will fly the the dragon rocket and for the first time in 11 years uh will american astronauts fly an american-made rocket instead of relying on other countries uh the event will be live streamed the spaceship and suits are really sexy i'm gonna be honest with you i don't know anything about it i i don't follow what yeah i yeah i don't follow the space Space program. I, I, I don't. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm not saying you shouldn't love it. I'm just saying it's not something I thought. But Rob, from your reaction, I'm gauging this is something you're pretty excited about. Dude, I am a space freak. I've been a space freak since I was a kid. Uh, this is a this is an unbelievably monumental and historic flight. Not only does it put Americans shooting uh, uh being launched from american soil back into space but it's a private company i mean in conjunction with nasa to be fair but elon musk's spacex has been working toward manned space flight they've done amazing things like bringing booster rockets landing them back on earth and at sea uh they have been pushing the boundaries of space technology and if this works godspeed to these astronauts uh, it, it opens up a whole new era. It really opens up the future of our species. And I, I I don't say that lightly. I think it's incredibly important to this country. And I think it's incredibly important to humanity's future. And I really hope it works. And, and it's very, very exciting. All right. Last two questions we have uh, with Rob here with us. Arrigo writes, last night I saw Apocalypto wonderful film that not enough people have seen it and it's all direction it's all direction uh for the first time and wow had to pause it in the middle because i asked myself who directed this and of course it was the man himself mel gibson bravo sir bravo listen he might be an absolute crazy son of a bitch uh i i don't know i don't know mel gibson personally but rob there are some movies you can point to that you just go that movie wasn't the script. It wasn't the performances. It was not that the script wasn't good or the performances weren't good, but there are some movies you look at and you go, that movie was all direction. Apocalypto to me is one of those movies that if you want to see how, what, however batshit crazy he may be, how truly good of a director Mel Gibson is, that's that's a film that really stands out for that. But anyway, Rob, you're, you're, I don't know that you and I have ever talked about Apocalypto. What are your thoughts on the film? 
dude, it's a virtuoso piece of filmmaking. I have the I own the Blu-ray, which, by the way, is a very rare Blu-ray. Uh, I think the film is inc- it's incredible, and it's just you know, look, the pr- pressures get to everybody, and being in Hollywood, Mel Gibson, I think one of the great tragedies of. Uh, for film fans over the last two decades is that he didn't get to make more movies. And I, I, he's a world-class director, maybe one of the best directors of the modern age. And the fact that he's not making a movie every two years is just beyond me. Do you remember, this is why I was kind of excited. We got a flashback three years ago. I think Um, Mel Gibson came this close to directing the next, the new suicide squad film. Remember that he they had met. Uh, it looked like for a little bit that Mel Gibson was going to be directing the second Suicide Squad film. And then for whatever reason, that fell apart. And now we've got the great James Gunn directing it, which is awesome. But it's an interesting thing. All right. Last question uh, with Rob here. And then we'll let him go do his stuff. Full Tank Ro- Rubes writes, does it surprise you that the budget for Man of Steel was $225 million? I rewatched it and assumed the budget was like $300 million. The visual effects are top notch for 2013 and even looks good uh, today. Plus, the movie is like 90% visual effects. Oh, I'm watching Shawshank Redemption tonight for the first time. <laughs> one of the, I think one of the top three greatest movies ever made is Shawshank Redemption. But let's talk about Man of Steel. Listen, no, I, it doesn't surprise me that it costs that much because I think, you know, I've said for a long time. The movies, the money they spend on movies today does not need to be spent. You don't need, you go back to, I keep pointing back to District 9, not that it's the only example, but it's a great example. District 9, a movie that they spent 30 something million dollars on that is filled with CGI, world class CGI with alien creatures interacting with real live action and environments, stuff like that. It doesn't surprise me. That it, that it costs that much. I, I mean, you maybe even could have made it for a little bit cheaper and still got the the uh, results. But I do know as a visual effects movie, Rob, I thought it was spectacular and I like it. But Rob, speaking specifically to budget, when you look at back at Man of Steel now, does the budget surprise you one way or the other? No, I mean, they spared no expense. And I think it's all up on the screen. You know, I think you can absolutely see it. I think it's an incredibly handsome movie. It's got some beautiful visual effects. The realization of two Kryptonians battling over an American city is something we'd never seen anything like that before. It's great, great, great stuff. You know, you, you as well as I, we're, we're big Man of Steel fans, and I will never understand. <laughs> it's the one thing I just, I don't, I mean, I understand why people don't like it. But it's because their vision of Superman is wrapped up into being something else. No one ever looks at that movie for what it is and judges it on its own merits because it's an astonishing piece of work. All right, Rob. Well, for now, we know you've got things you've got to do today. So we'll let you go right now. We'll, of course, see you back on the show tomorrow. And But in the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online, sir? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. And, of course, find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, my daily show now, <laughs> Rob Observations. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here. And I will, of course, talk to you again tomorrow, buddy. Have a good one, man. All right, guys, that was, of course, the one and only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. But for now, we still have about 20 minutes to go. So let's keep on going. You know what? Screw time limit. We're going to go as long as it takes to answer all the questions today. Why not? Let's start off the week that way. We're going to answer all the questions that got sent in today. As long as my voice holds up, if it starts to crack, maybe we'll end it here. But anyway, uh, next up, the Aussie John Campia writes, uh, HBO Max has confirmed it won't be coming to Australia, but we get something even better. 
a service called Binge, which will combine 99% of HBO Max and most of Peacock for only 10 to $18 a month. Downside is there is no 4K option. This will be coming on May 25th. That sounds awesome. Are you kidding me? That sounds incredible. You're going to get a service that is like two of the more highly anticipated ones, NBC, <laughs> Peacock, and, and HBO Max, and you get it into one bundled package? That's, a, you know, and lack of 4 I don't really care. I honestly think 4K is overrated anyway. A good HD picture, a good 1080 picture on a, on the right TV at the right distance looks beautiful. So I think that sounds great. I, I'm a little bit envious. I'm a little bit envious, Ozzy Junkie. Thank you for sharing that information. All right. The Dark Jedi Knight writes, Hey, John, enjoyed your video on The Rise of Skywalker. Thank you very much. Uh, I also thought if Palpatine was the puppet master, why not just create a Snoke, a Snoke bomb anyway? As a DC fan, I hope you do a regular show on the new DCEU. I'll even be your new uh, Seattle co-host, working title, Light Side, Dark Side. Um, I got to get Dark Side, get it? Uh, no, I'm not going to have any regular DC show, but... Um, I had a lot of fun making that Rise of Skywalker video. And again, I, I tried very hard not to make it a bash video because, you know, the point of the video was, you know, I, as somebody who has liked and even loved um, all the Star Wars movies that have come out under Disney's watch, the one exception to me is Rise of Skywalker. So I wanted to sit down and analyze why, when all the other Disney era Star Wars movies worked for me, why did this one not? And, you know, I made it very clear in that video. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to convince anybody else not to like it. If you like this movie, that's awesome. I'm just kind of doing my own self-introspection about why does this movie not work for me? And I kind of run through the reasons of that. And I like doing it so much. And it took a long time. It took a long time to make that. Uh, you know, myself, um, I spent a lot of time on it. Fact checker Jonathan worked a long time on it. It took a lot of energy and a lot of effort, but it was a lot of fun. I'm going to make another one. Um, in that sort of series of editorial videos. And I just decided yesterday that the next one I'm going to do, even though I don't think as many people will be interested in it, the next video I'm going to do is, is called The Case for the Man of Steel, uh, for Man of Steel. The Case for Man of Steel as the most underrated um, comic book movie of all time. The Case for Man of Steel. That's going to be my next video, my next editorial video that uh, I'm going to be doing. So I know not nearly as many people are going to be interested in it, but I'm not making it so I can get tons of views. I'm making it because I just want to really, you know, because you guys have been hearing me saying forever, it's the most underrated comic book film of all time. It's a top 10 comic book movie of all time, blah, blah, blah. But I really want to sit down now and put a full video together that much in the same style that I did my Rise of Skywalker video and really break down why that is true for me. Why it is true for me that The Man of Steel is the most underrated comic book film of all time. Why it is true for me that it is like a top 10 greatest comic book movie of all time. And why that's true for me. And people will agree and disagree with it. And that's cool. I'm not trying to change anybody's mind. But that's going to be the next one that I do. That's going to be the next one I do. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right. Next up, uh, Johnny Thunder writes, uh, you and Anne would enjoy... Uh, Zoe's extraordinary playlist. I know you said the ads didn't appeal to you, uh, but it is so heartwarming and sweet. The last seven minutes is amazingly emotional tracking shot. Also the same choreographer as Lala Land and Mandy Moore and, and Matt Land Mandy Moore probably meant and many more anyway. Um, yeah, I, I gotta say, I have never found anything about that show that looked appealing to me. 
I say that as somebody who hasn't watched it. Like, there's nothing about it that seems to appeal to me that that makes me go, go oh, yeah, man, I want to go watch that show. Um, it to Frankly, the, the premise seems ridiculous. Granted, the premise for Doom Patrol seemed ridiculous to me. The idea for what we do in the shadows as a TV show seemed ridiculous to me. And now I love both those shows. I, I, I will admit to you, it's not high on my priority list. Like, Ann and I are going to start watching Devs this week, so that's high on my priority list. I've got a number of other shows that are high on my priority list, but I got to admit, while I appreciate the recommendation, that's not one that's high on my priority list. But thanks for saying that in anyway, man. All right, next up, uh, Ronan writes, just finished season one of Amazon's Hunters. Wow, what a ride. Has a little bit of the boys feel in the same sense that a small team of misfits have to take on an unbeatable army. I know you don't have time for shows, but when you do get a chance, check it out. See, I was looking forward to Hunters, but then I heard from a number of people that it actually disappointed them a bit. Like, the concept of you got Al Pacino, one of the greatest actors of all time, in a show with this kind of subject matter, right? It just sounds amazing and unbelievable and all that kind of stuff. But then I had a number of people write to me saying, you know, the first episode or two were quite good. Remember, I haven't seen it yet. They said the first couple of episodes are quite good, but then it really falls off. Now, I haven't seen it yet myself. I wouldn't mind, though, because, again, it's Al Pacino and it's on Amazon Prime. And I really like Amazon Prime's content. So we'll we'll see. Maybe I'll get around to that one. Thanks for the recommendation on that, Ronan. I appreciate it. All right. Wakanda Forever writes, one of two. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work and go for and got four or five kids, can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work uh, and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years, 30 years, they give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place. Daddy, that's hard times. That's hard times. Don't recognize it. It's probably from a movie that I've seen 50 times and I don't recognize it. You know, it's funny. People write in movie quotes and I'll like, I'll be able to pull out these movies that I haven't seen in 10 years and maybe I've only seen two or three times. But then sometimes people send in quotes that are from movies I've seen a hundred times and I don't recognize them off the top of my head. But yes, that one I don't recognize off the top of my head. Um, See, so Wakanda Forever also writes one of two. The man of the hour, the man with the power. I am the hit maker, the record breaker. I got style and grace and a pretty face. I'll make your back crack, your liver quiver, and you ain't uh, and. If you ain't into this match, then you're at the wrong address. While the other wrestlers are in the back smiling and joking, Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, will be out front. Woo, uh, woo, that, that's a, that's a, uh, the natural thing, not Dusty. Uh, cooking and smoking. Dusty Rhodes, whose two sons uh, uh, are still wrestlers today. Of course, there was Dustin Rhodes, who was gold dust. And Cody Rhodes, who's one of the main guys behind AEW right now, his family legacy is secure. And yeah, he comes from an era where him and Ric Flair, I mean, they were the guys for an era, right? Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes. And they, I put him and the Nature Boy kind of on the same level in the history of great all-time mic skills. Yeah, Dusty and, and Ric Flair were ahead of their time as far as mic skills go. They were two of the greats. Um Let's see. Wakandan also writes, I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm, t I'm on top of the world. Should have been somebody else. That's greatest American hero. Um, next up, if you hear the song I sing, you will understand. Listen, uh, you hold the key 
Loves it. Gotta just stop sending in uh, quotes because I don't. I can't always pull them out. Not everybody understands what we're talking about. Taki seventy five writes. I think if Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey were good movies, then Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn would be mentioned in the same breath as Hugh Jackman's Wolverine and Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. That's that's a, I I disagree. That's a huge leap. That is a huge leap. Um, I, I, I don't see anything to back that up. I mean, I love Margot Robbie and I like her iteration of Harley Quinn, but even if Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey were, were great movies, I, I think that is a massive, massive leap to go. I think Margot Robbie's would be on the same mention as like the greatest iteration of comic book characters of all time, such as Hugh Jackman, Wolverine and Robert Downey Jr.'s. I mean, I'd have to understand your reasoning a little bit more, Taki, because I don't I don't see anything that kind of supports that. Like, I don't, I don't see anything that supports that notion. And again, I love Margot Robbie, but I don't see anything saying, oh, if Suicide Squad was a bit better and if Birds of Prey was a bit better, she'd be considered in the same breath as Hugh Jackman and Robert Downey Jr. I, I, I don't agree with you, brother. I don't agree with you on that. But then again, maybe if I knew what all of your rationale behind that was, maybe I would see it a little bit more. But just on its surface... I, I don't see it. Just on its surface, I don't see it, but that's just me. All right, Jordan Matthews writes, Hey, John, I just saw Requiem for a Dream for the first time. Sickeningly powerful film. Uh, and was blown away. It was completely heartbreaking. What are your thoughts on the movie? I talk about Requiem for a Dream once in a while because it's one of those films that often comes up when you're having the conversation about movies that are great, but you don't know if you can ever watch them again. You know, that's one of those movies to me. It is a, it shakes you. And like the character work in it. And and I, I said I thought she won Best Supporting Actress, but I think she was just nominated. Can't remember anyway. And of course, also out of Requiem for a Dream comes that piece of music that start getting used in a lot of different type of movie trailers. But there's that. I thought the movie was powerful. It was shaking, but it's so disturbing. And about, you know, how you can wreck a life. It's, it's difficult to watch, but it, there's a lot of all-time brilliant movies that are like that. Like Schindler's List is one that comes up all the time. It's brilliant, but it's difficult to watch. Um, uh, Detroit, which came out a couple of years ago. Brilliant movie. Very difficult to watch. Um, di- directed by the same woman who directed Hurt Locker. Very difficult to watch. And that's what Requiem for a Dream is for me. Anyway, uh, Poria writes, I just watched Prisoners for the first time. Speaking about Jake Gyllenhaal, as a matter of fact, Denis Villeneuve, and speaking of Hugh Jackman, I just watched Prisoners for the first time, and I loved it. I don't think Jake Gyllenhaal has ever been in a bad movie. Oh, no, uh, Prince of Persia would like to have a word with you. Yes, I, I do believe Jake Gyllenhaal has been in bad movies. He was also in that one with, why am I forgetting her name, Anne Hathaway. He was in that one with Anne Hathaway that I didn't think was all that good. Prince of Persia was terrible. Uh, he's been in some bad movies, yes. But Jake Gyllenhaal has never given a half-assed acting effort. You know, he's been in some bad movies. That's kind of beyond the actor's control to a degree, but he's never given a half-assed effort. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is truly one of the treasures in, in acting for us today, I think. All right, let's keep things going here. Uh, Next up, David Crabtree writes, This weekend I sat down and watched a film I unapologetically adore, an 80s sci-fi fantasy superhero classic with a fantastic score, epic set pieces, and one of my all-time favorite villain performances. That film is Masters of the Universe. And of course, everybody, it was one of the first movies I remember where it had a little tag at the end where Skeletor comes back out of the water, right? That was one of the first movies I ever remember having one of those little tags at the end. Listen, 
I don't know how I feel about the movie today, but when it came out and I'm a kid and it's it's He-Man and it's sci-fi and action. And by the way, you know, one of my all time, all time celebrity crushes and, and Courtney Cox, I, I loved it at the time. I don't know <laughs> like what I think about it today, to be honest, but yeah. And you like the Skeletor was great. No CGI. I mean, it's uh it's truly a special film, but it is about time, David, that they, they remake that thing. They got to remake it. Uh, David also writes one of three. Something I've pondered in movies, TV shows, and various media. Why does drama, why is drama considered the default genre? <clears throat> um, and, com- and comedy is more of a subgenre. I don't know if that's true. Uh, take superhero films. I think Shazam is a fantastic superhero film, but when people discuss Shazam, uh, it's uh, prefaced by a superhero comedy, or that's a great superhero film for a comedy. It's as though comedy isn't a legitimate action, isn't legitimate fiction as drama. Even though I would argue our real life conversations mirror those more closely to, sh- sh- to Shazam or a show like The Orville than one of the more serious dramas, I do. I do it as well. If I recommend a movie, particularly a genre film, I'll often preface it if it's more of a comedy, but we generally don't do that if it's a straight up drama, just some food for thought. Well, I think though, I think you answered your own thing there though, David, because like drama is the default of what life is. Life is default. That's the baseline, right? Drama is the baseline. You know, the real life, real things that happen every day, the obstacles we face, the challenges we have to overcome, uh, our victories, our defeats, our our good times, our bad. I mean, the baseline of life is the drama of our lives. You know, that that's the baseline experience for us. Then whenever you move out of that baseline, you get into the specific genres, right? Comedy. Okay, great. And yes, there's a lot of comedy in real life as well, for sure. But it's still a a different genre. There is action in real life, for sure. But the baseline of life is not action. The base life is is drama. And then you can get into action in our lives. You know, so I, I think, yeah, that's why I think we go, the baseline is drama. And then when it moves outside of that, we get into discussing the different genres. Because, yeah, I think life, while funny things happen in my daily life, the baseline is drama. The baseline is just normal life dealing with, do I do this? Do I do that? This was a success. This was a failure. All that, all that kind of stuff. I still, I, I get it though. Now I think you can, you raise an interesting issue there because I think you can have a discussion, um, on the idea of should we consider one thing, a baseline genre of life and then something else, a different baseline. I mean, maybe, but I, I think that's why the way I've always seen it, but I got to say, I've never really thought it out like you just did. So maybe if I thought about it more, I'd come to a different conclusion, but yeah, I, I kind of do get it. Baseline standard baseline experience is life is drama. And then there's more to it than that, but that's when we get into the other definitions when it comes to film. So I don't know. It's an interesting thing to bring up, David. I appreciate that. I'm going to think about that more. All right. Raj writes one of two. Uh, Hi, John. Last week, I listened to you and Rob predicting uh, about Warner Brothers. Not let me try this again. 
Last week, I listened to you and Rob predicting about Warner Brothers not to pursue old DCEU vision post Snyder Cut. I thought that with an R-rated billion dollar comics based movie at their back and also Andy Serkis recently saying the new Batman movie is darker than Nolan's. Could Warner Brothers follow a two parallel path approach producing movies like Wonder Woman Aquaman to appeal to four quadrant audiences and also films like Batman continuing the Nolan slash Snyder legacy to attract traditional fans thoughts. Well, I'd say the Wonder Woman Aquaman thing are the traditional fans. That's your traditional comic book movie fare right there. But listen, one of the things I've been saying all along, Raj, is that and why I was so excited when they announced the Joker movie, like when everybody, they'll all pretend like they didn't. But when the Joker movie first got announced, everybody shit all over it. It's not a, it's not Joker if Batman's not there. It doesn't make any sense if you're not going to put it into the DCU and everybody was against it. I was super excited about it. And the main reason I was excited about it is because I don't think everything should be in one big handcuffed, all the same, same cinematic universe. I think you need to have different stories telling different types of tales with different characters and all that kind of stuff. And one of the reasons I was so excited about Joker coming out and that it would be separate from the DCEU was that it takes the handcuffs off of filmmakers and say, hey, you got a great story to tell? doesn't matter if it fits into the DCU or not. We'll do it outside of the DCU. If you've got a great story to tell, you go tell it and we'll just say it's outside of the DCU. So, yeah, I, and I think that was one of the most exciting things about them making Joker. And while I was completely stoked about it from day one. And I do think it shows us that Warner Brothers is willing to not be handcuffed to the DCEU. There's great stuff to do in the DCEU. I have liked, up until Birds of Prey, I have liked all the DCEU movies. Some I've loved. But I don't want filmmakers to be handcuffed by everything we do has to be consistent with what's happening in the DCEU. No, F that. If you've got storytellers that have great stories to tell, tell them outside of the DCEU. And I think Joker showed that they're willing to do that. I think that the success proved that they were right to take that risk. And I certainly do hope that DC moves forward telling different types of stories. And by the way, that's the way comic books have done them forever. Comic books have always told radically different types of stories and just say that one doesn't count. I mean, that's and at the end of the day, isn't that what it's about? Telling having great movies, telling great stories, making great films. Isn't that what it's all about? It's not about shared cinematic universe. It's about telling great movies, making great movies. And I think they are willing to do that. And that's one of the things I'm excited about them having a DCU and having something else, not either or having both. And and I think that's very exciting. Um, uh, one of the most exciting things that Warner Brothers has shown with this new direction. And I personally hope it's something that Marvel will incorporate at some point. Tell some stories that are outside of the MCU. I mean, go for it. I think it's, I think it's something they should do. All right. Next up, uh, Marjan writes. Uh, hi, John. Regarding the movie production, I was wondering if it's common for the movie director to come up with the story behind the movie, or is that a unique position that only directors like Tarantino and Nolan are in? Greetings from Amsterdam. I'm not quite sure what it is you're asking. Regarding the movie production, I was wondering if it's common for the movie director to come up with the story behind the movie, 
Or is this a unique position that only directors like Tarantino and Nolan are in? Greetings from Amsterdam. I, I, I'm not quite sure I know what it is you're asking. I think you're asking about like creating what's the story even behind the story that we see on screen. If that's what you're asking, then that's actually common with a lot of screenwriters. Like screenwriters, um, there's this great online screenwriting course right now that Variety has helped put together with a bunch of really good Hollywood screenwriters. And one of the things that one of the screenwriters was talking about was like when I make a character, I in my I make a note in my notebook about that character's total background. Even if we never see any of that in the movie, the screenwriter says, it helps me navigate this character because I know what this character would do now because I've written an entire backstory for the character. Like, you'll never find out that Gus was a gas station uh, attendant for four years. But I know that Gus was a gas station uh, um, employee for four years. So when this happens in a story, it affects him this way, blah, blah, blah. So a lot of screenwriters do come up with a full story behind the story that they tell. Um, uh, Sorkin does that as well. Sorkin is, is, is notorious for coming up with full stories behind characters and events that don't even ever make it into the movie. Right. So, yeah, there are directors that do that as well. There are screenwriters to do it. I think it's more common than you might think. I think it's so, so it's a good observation. If that's what you're asking, if it's not what you're asking, I apologize that I misunderstood. All right. Uh, Buckety Buck writes, hey, John and crew, my favorite movie is Jet Li's Fearless. I like Fearless. Not my favorite Jet Li movie, but I like Fearless. I was wondering your thoughts about the movie. Also, how do you feel about Brady and Gronk leaving the Pats? I'm from Tampa, Florida and huge Buccaneers fans. Have a great day. Well, I, I mean, uh, like I said, I like Fearless. Brady and Gronkly. Well, Gronk already left. I mean, he retired. I mean, so so there was that. He was already gone. Brady. Um. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I would have liked to have seen him finish his career with the Patriots, but I also understand that he's played his whole career there. Like, if at some while he's still playing at a high level, and let's face it, he's turning forty three. He's not going to be the Tom Brady that he was before, but he's still playing at a high level. To be able to do something he's never done in his entire career, to go out and have a different experience with a different team, why not? I don't begrudge him that. I don't begrudge him that at all. Why not? Give that a shot. And Gronk, listen, Gronk is not going to be the same. I keep telling people, look, I'm excited to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year because Gronk and Brady are there. But for all those people who are like, oh, Tampa Bay's got to be considered a Super Bowl contender now. No. Listen, I love Tom Brady. He is the GOAT. He is the high goat, okay? Tom Brady is the greatest there's ever been. And, I, and he's my favorite quarterback in the league. But he's not the Tom Brady he used to be. Gronk has had so many injuries. He's also like 70 pounds lighter than he used to be. Don't, I don't expect... I, I, listen, I expect Brady and Gronk to play at a high level, but they're not going to be the Gronk of old, and they're not going to be the Brady of old. Right? So I think it's going to be fun seeing, watching Tampa Bay play this year. I think it's going to be fun. But any delusions of grandeur of Super Bowl contenders and stuff like that, I I know. You know Brady's almost 43. I, he's, he's past his prime. So that's how I kind of feel about that. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward. It's going to be really great to see what New England does as a team now as they move past Brady. It's time for them to bring in the next, you know, great quarterback, you know, under uh, you know, Darth Belichick and see what they do there. So I'm excited about it. All right, next up, Wakanda Forever writes, 
Um, let's see. Wakanda will no longer watch uh, from the shadows. We cannot. We must know. Uh, we will work to be an example as how we brothers and sisters on the earth should treat each other. Now more than ever, the illusion of divisions threatens our very existence. We all know the truth. More connects us and separates us. Uh, but in times of crisis, uh, the wise build bridges while the foolish build barriers. Uh, we must find ways to look after one another uh, if we are one single tribe. Listen, that to me, while I love Black Panther, that was one of the best moments of the movie. And it, there was a little bit of a political slant to it, especially at the time when he says the foolish, you know, the wise build bridges, the foolish build walls. Uh, that there was a, there was clearly a little bit of a political poke in there, but nonetheless, the speech was was profound for a comic book movie, and it was great and a really good way to end a, a big action piece to end a movie on a more philosophical notion. I thought it was a really good move, and it's something I really did like about the movie. All right, Wakanda also writes, Hey, John, I just got my gold trophy for being number one on the tipping page for the week. LOL. I love these little clever things you do for the fans on the show. Every Everyone have a good day. Stay healthy, productive, and safe. Keep it filthy. Thanks. And thank you, Wakanda, for being here. And not just watching the show, but you also support the channel. And the fact that we have viewers like yourself who do more than come and watch, but they also want to support and be part of the reasons why we're able to do these shows and why we're able to have people like the great Robert Meyer Burnett on and pay him and have people like fact checker, Jonathan and Ray doing their things and all that kind of stuff. It's because of people like you. So thank you so much for that, man. All right. Julius Goodwin writes just for fun. And if Mr. Burnett is there, just missed him. I'd like to ask what kind of Jedi you see yourself as light, dark or gray. Also, if Jedi, what class are you Knight, Sentinel master? Well, you got to understand I'm more of a, of movie traditionalist to me there is no there are no gray jedis to me there's no such thing as a gray jedi i'm more of a movie traditionalist you're either light or dark you're either sith or jedi so and a lot of my friends are like sith is cooler and sith is cooler but i've always seen myself as jedi whenever i play like uh star wars the old republic i always pick a jedi character in the three or four times that i've gone back to the game and restarted the campaign i always do it as jedi Sometimes I do different class classes like uh, Sentinel Knight. Uh, there was also another class in there. I can't remember diplomat or something like that, where the wisdom is really more of their thing. But again, I'm really more traditional and vanilla in the sense that I just think Jedi Knight. That's that's what I think. If I could be in Star Wars and be whatever character, it would be John can't be a Jedi Knight. Whereas other people will go Sith or other different things, but I'm, I'm more traditionalist that way. But that's just me, Julius. Good question. All right. Joel writes, hey, John and crew. I love the show. Thank you so much. And hope you're all having a great day. Have you seen that Disney Plus is starting to blur out cleavage now? I have not heard that. I have not heard that. Uh, I mean, it might be true, but I'm literally saying I haven't heard that. So I will go and look into that, but I, I have not heard that. So, I mean, eh, who knows? Again, it would be consistent with their DNA of being more of a family first kind of a network. But again, I haven't heard that yet myself. It might be true and I just haven't heard it, but I, I haven't heard that yet. So I don't know if that's true. All right. Diamond Dogs Puppy writes, hello, John and crew. Forgotten film of the day is 2001's The Score. I like The Score, actually, with uh, Ed Norton Jr.'s in that one with De Niro. Uh, the Score, De Niro, Norton, and Brent. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Marlon Brando was in that, too. Solid crime caper flick that was old-fashioned with a modern twist. Norton nearly steals the show again. Diamond Dog over and out. No, like, listen. No, none of us should ever be surprised talking about a movie with either, like, a Jake Gyllenhaal or an Ed Norton. And ever be like surprised? Wow, he almost steals that movie. Ed Norton is a tremendous actor. 
He is a tremendous actor. I, I don't know that I've ever seen him in a movie where I didn't think he 100% brought it. And he's been in some bad films. But even in, fil- in films like that, we, you know, we were just talking about Jake Gyllenhaal before. Jake Gyllenhaal has been in some bad films, but he always brings it. And Ed Norton is just one of those guys. Like, even if you go to something like The Italian Job, right? One of the movies, one of the reasons The Italian Job works the way it does to me is because of him. And yeah, the score is is a solid one. Not one of my favorite movies of the year, but I thought the score was definitely a solid film. Now, Brando isn't in a lot of the movie per se, but no, it's a solid film. I think that's a nice one to bring up. More people should check it out. Well done, Diamond Dog. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, most underrated film series, The Tree of Life. This 2011 Terrence Malick classic won the Palme d'Or, uh, d'Or in, uh, at Cannes, it, but failed to win any Oscars and got only 84% of Rotten Tomatoes. Well, 84% ain't bad. Uh, it had a cast of Brad Pitt, Sean Penn, and Jessica Chastain. And man, it was so good. I got to admit, I did not love Tree of Life. I, I didn't love it. And I was very excited for it for all the reasons you mentioned. And there's certainly a depth to it. And look, like most of Malick's films, it is a movie. It's an Artur movie, right? Uh, but Artur, being an Artur movie doesn't automatically mean the movie's going to work. Look at that uh, Jennifer Lawrence movie, Mother, which is just awful. Just awful. But it's clearly a movie made by an artist. It's clearly an Artur movie, but that doesn't automatically mean it'll be good. I didn't dislike Tree of Life. Don't get me wrong, but it, yeah, I watched it and I got what they were, what he was saying and what he was going for. I just didn't, for me, it didn't click as well as it did for other people like yourself. But listen, don't forget that 84% run. That's not an only 84% is a wonderful score. So clearly more people agree with you anonymous and agree with me on that. But again, for me, it just was the one that didn't quite equal what I was hoping for, but it was more about the execution. But again, more people agree with you on that than agree with me. That's why it's wonderful that all film is subjective. All right. Raj writes, uh, it proved how underappreciated. Oh, I guess Raj was the anonymous viewer. It proved how underappreciated Brad Pitt is as an actor and also says a lot about uh, HW critics. Not all um, Roger Ebert gave four out of four worth watching if one wants something out of a film post two hours runtime. Well, I'm not sure what you mean. Hollywood critics. Well, again, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Raj. I mean, the movie got an 84%. I don't know what else you want. And listen, I, I didn't like the film all that much either. Again, it was, it was very artistic. It's very auteur. And I appreciate it on that level. But I just didn't find that it gave me the experience that other films give me. I don't think it says anything about critics. Just listen, be very careful about ever pulling that about saying, Oh, you didn't like something the way I liked it. Well, that says something about you. Never be one of those people. Never, ever, ever be one of those people. You didn't like something I loved. Well, that says something about you. No, it doesn't. It says that films are subjective. We all watch movies and we all have different experiences with them. For some of us, it comes out one way. For some of us, it comes another. And by the way, the vast, vast, vast majority of critics did like the movie. The vast majority of them loved the movie. But some of them, like myself, didn't. I don't think that says anything um, about people who didn't like it any more than I think it says anything about you because you did like it on that level. 
So just just be very careful never to be one of those people because those are the worst. Uh, Gareth Couch writes, uh, over under 20%, uh, we get a true injustice movie in the next decade. Uh, it's one of my favorite storylines in a while. It's big enough for today's zeitgeist for that treatment or am I off my hinges? It, it won't happen. What we could get is an animated version straight to home video. That could happen. Listen, the story behind every most people think of injustice gods among us just as a video game but the story behind it is amazing and by the way the graphic novel the the comic series they put out about it injustice gods among us year one is to me one of the smartest written comic books i've read in a number of years in a number of years i just just devoured that series i picked it up started reading it and i did not finish till i was done like i couldn't stop reading it yeah, I was reading it at home, read it through the night, went to the airport, reading it while I was going to the airport, read it on the plane, got off the plane, went to my hotel and continued reading it all night till I was finished the entire run. I, I just I just couldn't put it down. It was unbelievable writing. There's this great scene in it, by the way, in the comic where Superman and the Flash, Superman has already kind of lost his hinges and decided I need to rule the world. And he's sitting down playing chess with Flash. And they're, of course, playing chess super fast and having this conversation. And basically, they're debating Superman saying, you know, Flash, you and me in less than however amount of time, you and I could go through the entire world and take away everybody's guns. We could take away all guns. And they're having this philosophical discussion. It's just a brilliantly written scene. I would love to see an animated movie version of it. Uh, but I don't think it's something that would make it to the big screen, probably a straight home to video, but I could see that part happening. I could see that part happening. All right. Jay writes one of two. Whilst the best of the three, I actually think the most problematic Star Wars sequel was The Force Awakens. Everything I dislike about The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker can be traced back to the problems uh, that people gave The Force Awakens a pass for in 2015. The awkward millennial humor. I, I actually thought the humor in it worked quite well. Um Where's Jay? Okay, two. Uh, the use of characters, the overall reliance on hitting the same visual and plot points from the originals, and a lack of identity. John, nothing is achieved in The Rise of Skywalker that wasn't first achieved in Revenge, Ri Return of the Jedi. Why exist then? I wish Episode 7 had set us on a different path. I, I disagree, but that's the beautiful thing about it. I thought I thought the, the, uh, the Force Awakens was a fun, incredible return to star wars and it's one of those movies that the more i watched it the more i appreciate it. i never i never liked the whole rathar scene with the monster getting loose on the ship i've always hated that scene but aside from that it to me it's just wonderful and you know for a lot of years people complained that they haven't got what they feel was star wars again so there was an onus on jj to incorporate more of the familiar back into stars to get everybody back on board and it worked you know, the, the, the force awakens. And again, it's all subjective. So you may not, it may not have worked for you as well. And that's perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with that. But for me, the force awakens hit all, not all, but most of the right notes. The vast majority of audiences really adored it. Critics adored it. It was huge, financially successful. It was just a really great fun movie. And, and unfortunately, the lack of an overall plan started to catch up with them after that. It did. And, you know, there I know a couple of people that didn't appreciate The Force Awakens. And again, same thing with me not appreciating Tree of Life. I mean, that's film subjective. Nothing wrong with that. And it didn't work for you. That's totally cool. 
That's totally cool. But yeah, I got to say for me, it was a good balance of introducing new while incorporating the old. It was a good way to kick off this new era to bring everybody back in. They didn't follow up on it as successfully, which is unfortunate, but I thought it was a good start. I I personally thought it was a really good start, but hey, man. You're not alone in that opinion. There are others who have your opinion on that too, and I appreciate your perspective on that. All right, James Argento writes, uh, watch the first two episodes of Stargirl, or watch the first two episodes of Stargirl. It reminded me of a combination of high school years of Smallville, an 80s Spielberg movie, including Henry Thomas's Dr. Midnight, and a John Hughes coming-of-age movie. Note, episode episodes are longer on the DC universe. Yeah, somebody else was writing in to say that a few minutes were cut out. Uh, for the CW version of it, probably to accommodate commercial time and things like that, which they didn't have to worry about making it for the DC streaming service. You know, I had no intention of watching, but I think I'm going to have to get around to giving that one, checking that one out, James. I think I'm going to have to check that out. You know what? I think today, today, I'm going to go and sit down and watch the first episode of Two or Stargirl. I'm going to do it today. It's only one or two episodes. I think I'll go do it. And and I do have the DC streaming service. So I'll go and watch it on the DC streaming service to make sure I get all of it. So I I get the extra minutes in there as well. So that's what I'm going to do today, James. Thanks for bringing that up. All right. uh, Let's see. Next up, uh, Fabian Vegas writes. If you think about it, Star Wars isn't that good a franchise, according to the fans. Episodes 1 through 3 were barely received, uh, as as were Solo and Episodes 8 through 9. That means that 6 of the 11 films were received with mixed reviews. Pretty interesting. Love the films, though. I mean, that's the thing. The, the main love of Star Wars, particularly for me, if you take out the original trilogy, is my life filled with Star Wars? No. Is are my collection shelves filled with various Star Wars things? No. Do I still like Star Wars? Yes, but it's all rooted in the original trilogy, which are the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> I mean, to me, I'm very, very, I very, very much lean Star Wars, but it's it's that, and that's where it's all predicated off of. But listen, I've had this discussion with people before. Like I say, like to me, Star Wars is the greatest thing of all time. And then people say, but you didn't like the prequels. I said, that's true. But listen, the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? To use a sports analogy, the Toronto Maple Leafs by far psychotically more than anything else in sports are my absolute favorite thing in the world, right? But ask me if I think they've been a very good team the last, oh, I don't know ever since I've been alive. No, they're not. They've been terrible, as a matter of fact. But they are my favorites. It is it is just, I bleed blue and white. I yearn for the day to see them go back to the Stanley Cup. Because they've never been to the Stanley Cup in as long as I've been alive. True, truly, not night hyperbole. They haven't even been to the Stanley Cup finals as long as I've been alive. But they are my favorite things. Star Wars, it's that original trilogy that becomes the anchor for everything. And and it, by the way, it's the original trilogy that becomes the measuring post by which all other things are measured. And even though I didn't like the, the prequels, it doesn't at all shake my love of the franchise as a whole. Much like the Toronto Maple Leafs can have a terrible season, it doesn't shake my love for the franchise as a whole. Um, I love The Force Awakens, but The no, Force Awakens isn't anywhere near as good as the original trilogy. So it didn't increase my love for it, but it doesn't take away. I didn't like Rise of Skywalker, but that doesn't take away my love for the overall franchise as a whole, right? So Star Wars, in what George Lucas created, 
as this universal playground for these great stories to be told to me is the greatest thing in movies. That doesn't mean every iteration and everything that different filmmakers come in and do is going to be great, but it means the universe and the world and the mythology is great. And it all gets rooted back in that original trilogy. So anyway, that's, that's my thought on it, but yeah, I totally see where you're coming from that Fabian. But again, I, I think you got to understand and put that in context of the way we view other things in life as well. And therefore I think it's still very consistent, but that's just me. It's an interesting observation, Fabian. Thanks for sharing it, man. All right. Marco writes structurally, the sequels are a mess. Uh, episodes one through six were the rise, fall, reign and redemption of Darth Vader. What are the sequels actually about? From what I gathered, I think JJ was trying to say, don't worry about that. Here's a lightsaber. Yay. Star Wars. Well, listen, if you watched my video that I did on, um, as a fan of the Disney star Wars films, why the rise of Skywalker didn't work for me. That is ultimately the main critique. Look, the sequels are better than the prequels, but as much as I don't like the prequels, there is something it did way better than the sequels. And that is this. George Lucas sat down and while he didn't know every little detail, George Lucas sat down and planned out what that trilogy of films was going to be. And because he planned it out in advance, every movie felt like it very naturally connected and flowed to the next movie for good or for bad. It at least felt very consistent. When you watch The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, you feel like you are watching one coherent, thought out, very naturally connected story of films. I didn't think it was they were all that good, but they were at least consistent with each other and felt naturally connected. And the prequels did that way better than the sequels did because the sequels, because they had no plan. And let's just go movie to movie. We'll make it up as we go along. Okay, that's fine. And it worked great for the first movie. Chewie, we're home. It worked great for the first movie. But you start to see some of the cracks in The Last Jedi. A lot of people don't like The Last Jedi. I do. But you do start to see some of the cracks in that. And like, oh, this doesn't... The Last Jedi didn't feel like it naturally connected to The Force Awakens, like, say, Attack of the Clones felt naturally connected to The Phantom Menace. And then we get into The Rise of Skywalker, and now it's like, okay, they had no idea what they were doing. George Lucas had a plan for the prequels, and they flowed naturally. And you can get by, I said in my video, like in sports, you can get by by winging it. You can even have some big successes just winging it. But eventually, winging it catches up to you. And that's what I feel that's from my perspective at any rate. That's what I feel happened in uh, with the with the sequel fans. That's just me, though. All right. Uh, Jay Meister, 25 writes. Apparently, there's going to be a three hour cut of Ghostbusters 2016 to uh, uh, Falcon. Everyone's got a cut now. No, I think I think he was just look, I, I don't think nobody was saying there's going to be that. I think Paul uh, Feig the director of that was just saying, Hey, yeah, this, I mean, I could do it. I don't think there's actually going to happen though. I, I don't think you have to worry about that. I do not think that is actually going to happen. Uh, not in the least. All right. Glenn Tracy writes, this is long winded and the idea could be torn apart by someone with a bit more knowledge of the M MCSU. I'm not sure what the SU is than me. Magneto's uh, backstory seems to be the issue when it comes to introducing mutants. Maybe uh, his pain could be, uh, 
could be that although he abandoned his kids at an early age, unknown to them, he was always watching over them from afar. He's helpless when Hydra kids kidnaps them and experimented on them. Plus, he's aware of his son's death in Age of Ultron and blames the Avengers. Is there anything worse uh, than someone hurting your children? He's human at this point, And then we use the snap idea that awakens his mutant gene, say 1% of people that come back from the snap develop the mutant gene, uh, either straight away or others develop it during puberty. This would explain people at different ages being mutants, but also 1% of half of the planet's population would keep mutants as a minority, but at the same time, keep their numbers in the hundreds of thousands from there. We can uh, weave human fear and persecution into the storylines. They could even use some of the children from Peter's school that we know to show teenagers developing the mutant gene. I know you're against using the snap, so I pass it over to you to rip it apart. Anyway, Glenn, excellent, well thought out thesis there. That is a well thought out thesis. And I think you've connected all the dots. And by the way, thank you for writing that out so thoroughly. I think you do a really good job connecting all the dots. And I can't tear it apart because I think you connect that very well. Here's the one issue I have with it that becomes kind of the, the trick, if you will. Here's the trick. The thing about mutants, apart, at least that the way I see as the core foundational thing about the mythology of X-Men and the mutants is that they have been around for a very long time in our society. And society's attitudes towards that community, towards these individuals born a different way, and how those prejudices have passed from one generation to the next, and how those prejudices have evolved to the point of where we're at. Remember, Stanley always said that the X-Men was really a metaphor of uh, the civil rights movement in many ways. And, you know, Magneto and Charles were living metaphors of the different philosophies of a Martin Luther King versus a Malcolm X and the different philosophies that they had, uh, each with their pros and cons. To me, the reason I don't like the idea of using the snap, and they very well could, and the way you just laid it out, Glenn, is one of the best laid out and thought out ways to do it. Because if they're going to use the snap to introduce mutation and mutants, that's the way to do it. However, using the snap to do it takes away the entire history and the underlying social uh, idiomisms, if you will, of what mutants have been in the world and the political allegorical relationship they have to the world that they're in. It takes all of that away. And when you take away that history, I think you lose a lot of the soul of what the X-Men is. Even if you go back to the first X-Men film in, in 1999 or 2000, you know, one of the very first things that happens is Charles and Magneto bump into each other at the UN. And even that discussion about we're the future Charles, not them, you know, it's all about it being very drenched in the history of what their people have endured for so long right the snap and just introducing mutants as a new thing in the world could be the way they go and the way you just laid it out is a good way to do it it's as good as any way i've heard suggested to be honest with you well done but to me it would be a little disappointing because it takes away 
everything that makes the story of X-Men so rich, which is the history behind it, the generations of, of, of a people, a species that have been viewed and portrayed and betrayed by their cousins, homo sapiens. They are homo superior. We are homo sapiens. And I think there's so much to that. That would be a shame. I just feel like it would be shame. Now, again, what I've said a lot is that I don't know what the answer is. I don't have the better way to do it because trying to do it with all that history presents other problems. So I don't know the right way to do it, but yours is the best thought out way I've seen so far. I still don't think you make Magneto Wanda's dad. I, I don't think you can do that in the MCU, but I think a lot of the other stuff you've pointed out there is very well thought out. Well done, Glenn. Well done indeed. All right. Josh writes, uh, let us not forget how despicable uh, the prequel hating fandom was in the 2000s. The worst fandom era bullied kids who liked the prequels relentlessly online, nearly bullied Jake Lloyd and Ahmed Best into suicide. Imagine if they had Twitter and Instagram in 2000. Um, it wasn't. Listen, as somebody who was in that era, it wasn't nearly as bad. Listen, the treatment that Ahmed Best got was deplorable because while Jar Jar Binks is terrible, that wasn't Ahmed Best's fault. Ahmed Best was an actor who got the chance of a lifetime and got given a Star Wars character, and he did exactly what the directors and them asked him to do. And he did it to the best of his ability. I've never understood anybody giving hate to uh, to Jake Lloyd or giving hate to uh, Ahmed Best over that. But you also got to remember, it wasn't nearly as bad. Not that it wouldn't have been as bad, but it wasn't nearly as bad because it, the internet wasn't what it was, what it is today. There wasn't Twitter, you know, there wasn't the social media thing that that it could become and snowball into the thing that it, it did and ultimately became. And, you know, I never understood while I didn't like the prequel, I don't like the prequels. I never understood this whole idea when people say George Lucas ruined my childhood. It's like, no, he didn't. The Star Wars movies are still there. The original trilogy is still there and they're still the greatest movies of all time. Who cares if these ones didn't work as well? I've never understood that. But. No, it, it, it wasn't as somebody who has lived through both eras. Um, it wasn't as bad or as toxic as it got with these new movies. It wasn't as bad or as toxic. Um, maybe they would have been as bad if like Twitter had been around at the time, but it wasn't as bad. It wasn't as bad. It wasn't people calling for George Lucas to be fired. He owned Star. It wasn't, you know, it, it didn't reach that level, but it did get bad in its own context. And hey, that's just the dark side of fandom, man. It's the dark side of fandom. I never understood things getting that uh, that dark. I mean, I would joke at the time, friends don't let friends watch the prequels. But I would always say I was joking. I mean, if somebody likes the prequels, that's awesome. I, I want everybody to love every movie they watch. But yeah, I mean, people shouldn't forget. There, there might be some people that are too young to remember that. It, it was... it. Did get really negative, right? People made documentaries about how Star Wars had let them down because of the prequels and the people versus George Lucas and all this kind of stuff. It, it was bad, but I, I, I got to say, as somebody who's lived through them both, it, it wasn't as bad. It wasn't as bad. Uh, but hey, listen, bad is bad, man. Bad is bad. All right. Doug uh, uh, Ternovian writes. Hear me out. Cliff Clavin from the hit series Cheers is a wait for it. Energy vampire. It explains a lot. Well, Cliff, played by John Ratzenberger, who is the only voice actor to appear in every single Pixar film. John Ratzenberger, uh, who is the voice of uh, the piggy bank in Toy Story, he does at least one voice in every single Pixar film. Anyway, he was Cliff Clavin on Cheers, of course. I don't know. 
people seem to love him. I mean, certainly Norm and him were best friends, so I don't know. But I see where you're going from that. Nice little connection of what we do into the shadows to Cheers. I see where you're going with that. Nice way to expand the mythology there, Doug. All right, next up, we've got uh, KW Garrett83 who writes, uh, I'm a couple of days behind on your content, and I was going to watch the Snyder Cut discussion from last Thursday show, but no standalone video for that segment exists on your channel. Did I miss something? Guess I can scroll through the segment uh, in full show. Yeah, so what I normally do on my channel, I do the show, right? But like, for instance, today's show, one of the issues we discussed was Steve Carell's Irresistible um is going straight to streaming if you're on youtube searching for steve carell's movie irresistible going straight to streaming you're not going to find this full episode on youtube because that's not the title of this video so you're not going to find it so what i do is is at the end of every show i take the i take the show and then i chop up all the individual segments and put them on youtube so people who are searching for a specific for a spe specific topic can find that topic because otherwise they weren't, wouldn't have found the main show. And a lot of the subscribers we get to the John Campbell show YouTube channel come from people who find our content through those individual segments. So that's why I chop up those segments, put them out so people can discover them and find them. And then that leads them into the main channel and show. I did not put up a standalone segment of the Snyder cut discussion because the segments are meant to be between five and 10 minutes long. That's what the they're supposed to be segments, bite-sized parts of the show. The Snyder Cut part was about a half hour long. Like I'll put up some segments that are a little bit over 10 minutes. Like maybe they go 12, 13 minutes, sometimes even a little bit more than that. But like this that segment ended up running because there was a lot to discuss. That segment ended up being like almost over a half hour long. So at that point, it was like, okay, if it's almost a half hour long, there's no point putting it up as a segment. Plus, that is the main title of the show. So if people are looking for that topic, they will be able to find the main show since it's the main theme and the title topic of the show anyway. So Ray and I, uh, you know, Ray helps me do the segmenting afterwards. So Ray and I talked and I said, you know, the thing's like half hour long and it's the main topic of the show. So there's no point in putting this up as a segment. It's just too long. So that's why we didn't put up as the individual segment because the main show topic was about it. And it, the main show wasn't much longer than the segment was in and of itself. So that's why we didn't put that one up as a segment simply because it was just too long. It was too long to make an individual segment out of. Uh, anyway, thanks for asking KW. Okay. The Wakanda forever writes, I've heard both sides of the Magneto origin story. If you change his powers, it seems random. If you keep him current, you have to change his origin every few decades. I don't know if there is a real solution that will please everyone. It's a tough issue. It is. But the reason why I'm fine with altering his origin story is because you can still do his origin story that is completely true to the spirit of what his origin story is. You know, if his origin story is that as a young man, he saw the absolute worst in humanity, and that kind of turned him against the human race. You can do that with different events throughout history. It doesn't have to be the Nazis in order to, main, to stay true to the spirit of that. 
You do have to change the DNA of the character to suddenly say he has different mutant magical powers that he's never had before. Ah, just say he's an immortal. Just say he ages slow. That's never been part of his powers. That's not who he is. That's not true to the DNA of the character. But I believe you can change the background because we're getting too far away from, you know, Auschwitz and things like that to have that as a part of this character, this Magneto character's background. But there are other tragic events in the history of humanity where we really show the worst of ourselves that can fill that void and still be very true to the DNA of the character. So that's why I, I personally lean that way. That's why I lean that way. All right. Alex Detman writes. Uh, and Alex writes in a $50 uh, tip. Thank you so much for supporting the channel on that level, Alex. I appreciate that, man. Um, John, my Deadpool theory is he will use Cable's time machine and either save him before his death in Logan uh, with promise he will be returned to meet his end when they're done. Uh, taking Logan X-23 into their own very effed up lampoon vacation. of blood, but No, they won't do that. They won't do that. A huge. Listen, the reason they're not doing another Deadpool or uh, Wolverine with Hugh Jackman is not because, oh, we can't because we killed Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. Listen, they've always been continuity schmontinuity when it comes to the X-Men films. They've always never cared much about continuity. So that doesn't matter. The reason they're not doing more Hugh Jackman as Deadpool is not because they killed him in Logan. It's because Hugh Jackman doesn't want to do it anymore. He's over it. He's done. He did it for nearly 20 years. He gave us decades of him playing that character. And he's done. He's done. He doesn't want to do it anymore. So, no, it has nothing to do with them needing to come up with, like, a narrative hook to do it. It's like, oh, if only because don't forget, Logan, the movie takes place in the future. So they wouldn't even need to worry about that. If they were making, if they wanted to do a Deadpool movie or a Hugh Jackman as Wolverine thing today, it's not even inconsistent with Logan because Logan takes place a little bit in the future. So they'd be perfectly fine. But no, ultimately, the reason they're not going to give us another one is not because they don't have a narrative way to do it. It's because Hugh Jackman doesn't want to play the role anymore. He gave it to us for as long as he could. He went out on the highest of high notes. I thought Logan was the best film of the year, the year it came out. Uh, and that's ultimately the reason. And listen, Alex, because that's a $50 question, we will answer it in its own standalone video as well. Give us a couple of weeks. We're still getting caught up on them. But in a few weeks, keep your eyes open. We'll see that answered again there. Thanks again for the support, man. Okay. Next up, Alex also writes. I know it's far-fetched, uh, but I think Ryan Reynolds wore Jackman down for a one-off return in Deadpool 3, and what better way to do it? Uh, on a side note, I spend an hour of your show with some of my COVID patients every day, and you do make a difference, my guy. Uh, Hank's, Hank's a fan. I don't know what you mean by Hank's a fan. Oh, oh you do make a difference, my, my guy Hank's a fan. I, I'm sure you don't mean Tom Hank's, because if Tom Hank's was a fan of this show... Uh, I would be able to fulfill one of my wife's lifelong dreams of meeting Tom Hanks. Uh, but I fortunately have never been able to do that. Um, I Listen, what I do think is possible is that while I don't see Hugh Jackman coming back as Wolverine, what I do think is possible is a cameo. I think he could still pop up in a quick cameo. That could happen. Because that wouldn't require Hugh Jackman to go back to his three-hour-a-day workouts and eating a certain diet that Dwayne The Rock Johnson gave him and working his ass off. You could just have him pop up in a cameo. 
you could do that. But seeing him come back in a film and playing a main character like Cable played in Deadpool 2, I don't think that's going to happen. Hugh Jackman seems pretty over that. I think he seems pretty over it. But hey, if they did it, I'm all for it. I'm all I'm 100 percent all for it. If they did. All right. Alex also writes. Uh, I know it's far fetched, but I think, oh, is that? Oh, you accidentally wrote it twice. It was so important to you, you wrote it twice. Thanks for that, Alex. All right, Wakanda Forever writes, a what-if scenario. We saw the Connor-Floyd uh, fight, and Connor lasted 10 rounds. If the roles were reversed, and if Floyd took a year and trained in MMA and had time to complete a full training camp, how do you think Floyd would do against Connor McGregor in the octagon? Floyd Mayweather would be would have his legs broken. He would have three broken ribs, two snapped legs, and a broken arm in about 45 seconds. Floyd Mayweather would get destroyed by any MMA fighter, but Floyd Mayweather would get utterly, completely annihilated. Uh, I said it before, and people think I was joking, but I'm not. Ronda Rousey would have beat the shit out of Floyd Mayweather in a cage. Ronda Rousey would have broken both of Floyd Mayweather's legs. And one year does not turn you into a mixed martial artist. I'm sorry, but one year doesn't do it. Um, Conor McGregor, that fight would not last one minute. Conor McGregor would land one well-placed leg kick. And Floyd Mayweather would drop like a sack of potatoes. And then Conor would get on him and just either choke him out at his leisure or smash his face in with ground and pound. It's just that simple. No boxer can stand, can get into a mixed martial arts ring and into an octagon and actually fight a mixed martial artist. Can't happen. That said, there is no mixed martial artist that can get into a boxing ring under the limited rules of boxing and beat Floyd Mayweather. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. No way. No MMA fight. I don't care if you're George St. Pierre. I don't care if you're John Bones Jones. I don't care if you're one of the Diaz brothers. I don't care if you're Conor McGregor. I don't care who you are. You're not going to get into a boxing ring with the limited rules of boxing and be able to beat a guy who is one of the greatest who has ever done it in Floyd Mayweather. We're not going to happen. They're two different sports. But yeah, make no mistake about it. Mayweather doesn't last one minute. Not one minute. In a, in a cage against a Conor McGregor. And he knows that. That's why he'd never do it. Because he'd literally, he'd have every bone in his body broken. I mean, he, he knows that. But he could fight Conor McGregor in a boxing match 50 times. He's going to win every single time. He's going to win every single time. Uh, but in an MMA ring, no chance. No chance in hell. All right. Uh, Ethan Holgate writes, John, I hear you talking about the money they need to finish the Snyder Cut. I'm thinking, what if they need a lot to finish? Maybe there's visual effects already done by Whedon. They could redo... Uh, they could reuse they for less money to be spent. Maybe 30 million is all they need. But again, if they do it that way, that's compromising. That would be a compromise, right? Okay, if we only have 30 million, maybe we compromise by cutting corners here, reuse that, blah, blah, blah. I mean, yeah, it's possible. I mean, it's possible. I just don't see how, if, if they have as much work to do as the article suggests that they do, I don't see how it's possible for them to do it truly properly without ma- major compromises. But yeah, if, to, if you're going to do it making compromises like that, they, there's definitely ways to do it. There's definitely ways to do it, just not the ideal way that they would be doing it if this was a major theatrical motion picture release film in the theaters. But other than that, if there are compromises to be made, I'm sure there's ways they can do it. 
I'm, I'm sure there. I'm sure there are ways to do it. So I think you're right about that, Ethan. All right. Wakanda Forever also writes. Uh, we can all use a breath of fresh air. Always remember these words. There's no need to fear. Underdog is here. Underdog. Uh, here I come to save the day. Uh, here comes Darkwing Duck. When there's trouble, you can call Darkwing. Uh, who you gonna call? I uh, hope everyone has a good day. Man, those are some characters I've not watched in a long time. An anonymous viewer writes, I am confused about the statements to the Snyder Cut. What does recording of additional dialogue mean? Do they want to change lines in movie scenes? Uh, wouldn't that look weird? Or do you think they want to use animated scenes, voiceovers to connect the scenes? Okay, so what our anonymous viewer is asking is that in the Hollywood Reporter article where they interview the Snyders, they say there is a possibility they may bring back some of the talent to record additional dialogue. That is something that happens in every movie post-production, right? Whether it's words being said off screen, like for instance, this happens all the time. So you got two characters talking, right? Face to face. So you got a character, you got one camera angle like this, where this, you can't see this character. You see this character's face and this camera's now off camera. And then they cut to another angle where you see this character's face and the other character's off angle. What they'll often do is they may want to throw in additional dialogue that changes some things up, but instead of bringing back the actors to act out the scene again, which would be cost prohibitive and schedule prohibitive, they just record additional dialogue to play while the character's off screen to add things, right? whether it's narration, changing some of the dialogue, all that kind of stuff. So that's a part of every movie or just about every movie. Actually, Erin Cummings was in here the other day and she was talking about that she just recently had to go and do ADR, some, some sound booth recording for a film she's already shot. Right? So they're not changing anything that you see on screen, but they're going to change some of the dialogue and clean up some of the dialogue that maybe wasn't captured properly on set. It happens with every movie. So, yeah, them saying they're going to, they may have to bring in some of the talent again, not to put on the costumes again and appear in, on camera, but rather to just record additional dialogue. I have a feeling that's closer to what it is they're talking about. But we'll, I don't know for sure. I'm not in the room, but that's probably what they mean. Preston Bell writes, Hey, John, hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. I did have a great weekend. Thank you so much for asking. Can't wait to see the Snyder Cut. By the way, uh, how come Chris hasn't been on your show lately? Thanks. Well, I've, I've explained this about a dozen times, but I'll mention it again. Right now, I have a rule where I'm not ha allowing any more than one person in my house at a time. That's just a, a quarantine lockdown rule that I'm following for myself. No more than one person in, in the house at a time. I tried doing Skyping with Aaron and Chris and it just didn't work. They just don't have the appropriate internet that that uh, supported. You guys probably saw the episode where I tried doing the show with Chris and Aaron over Skype, and it just didn't work. It, it doesn't meet the quality standards that I need. Unlike Rob, who's got very, very high-speed internet and a specific studio set up at home, so it looks great when he's on. So I realized, okay, if I'm going to have Aaron or Chris on the show, I need them here in studio because the internet stuff didn't work with them as well but I was only having one person at a time. Now, I did reach out to Chris uh, a couple of weeks ago now, I think, to say, hey, how's your quarantining going? Are you good? Would you be interested in coming into studio? Um, but she was very honest with me. She said, look, to be honest with you, I'm quarantining at home, but my husband, Logan, is going to work and he's around a lot of people. And then he comes home and I'm around him. So it's probably not safe for me to go out and be around other people because while I'm quarantined, my husband's not and I'm around him. So we thought, okay, well, then we'll just wait till this is all behind us. So once we get all this behind us, 
then Chris Carr will be back on the show. And I look forward to that day because I miss having uh, me, her and Aaron all on the same show together. I miss having her there and it will be good to have her back when she is. All right. Star Wars Rocks writes, hey, John, in relation to the Arrowverse, what do you think of Stargirl? Again, I haven't watched Stargirl. I think I will go downstairs and watch it. I'll watch the two episodes that have come out today. I'll, I'll go watch them and I'll give my thoughts on Stargirl tomorrow. But as of right now, I still haven't seen them. I still haven't seen it yet. All right. James uh, Bonner writes, while watching Iron Man 3 the other day, I noticed the actress Rebecca Hall was in the movie. That's right. I love Rebecca Hall. If you have not seen the movie she was in with Scarlett Johansson and Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem, uh, directed by Woody Allen, it's called Vicky Cristina Barcelona. That movie will make you a Rebecca Hall fan. I love her. Anyway, uh, watching Iron Man 3 the other day, actress Rebecca Hall was in the movie. Wasn't she also in... Oh, there we go. Wasn't she also in Vicky Cristina Barcelona? And that movie about the Doctor and Wonder Woman. Yes, that's right. Uh, Doctor something and is when i can't remember it's with luke evans brilliant film i love that movie uh, about the doctor and the wonder woman she's a very good actress rebecca hall is fantastic because like i said she's in vicky christina barcelona with um um uh, Javier Bardem with Penelope Cruz with Scarlett Johansson and she steals the show. Rebecca Hall steals the show even though she's in with these three amazing movie stars and she steals the show. And yes, that movie about with Luke Evans about the guy who created the Wonder Woman character, Rebecca Hall's in that awesome i really appreciated the movie i like the movie very much you should go and find that and check it. i can't remember the name of the movie off the top of my head if you guys remember it in the chat board uh please let people know what it is and uh and we'll go from there all right uh next up an anonymous viewer writes hey john i'm torn on this one metalocalypse was a huge inspiration for me growing up that was directed by one john schnepp by the way uh with uh deathlock story not getting a proper ending if adult swim ever gave the okay to finish it who do you think could honor schnepp by finishing it if anyone i i generally don't i never do uh x director directing x movie i never do that I, as long as you get a talented director that's all that matters like i don't do the whole x actor and x role or x director directing x movie all i care about is get a good director as long as it's somebody with a little bit of a track record and they're good that's fine and um yeah if they wanted to do that great but just understand you're not going to get another john schnepp there was only one john schnepp so you'd have to do what like will smith did with aladdin made genie his own while still paying some honor to Will Smith in it. So you'd have to do the same thing if you were to do it. But as long as it's a good director, it would be a good director. Um, all right. Next up, Stubble McShave writes, my voice is starting to go, guys. We're approaching three hours today. Uh, Stubble McShave writes, a report on the rebate of the Wheel of Time production uh, in Czech Republic indicates that they spent $75 million for eight episodes. This doesn't include the salaries for most of the cast and crew. Normally a budget does include salaries for cast and crew. Normally that does include that. Any, anyway, uh, it doesn't cover most of the production costs either. It indicates uh, 15 to $25 million per episode. Yeah. Whenever you see production budgets, production budgets always include the cost of cast. So I don't know where you're reading that that says that doesn't include salaries for cast and crew. 
That is the production. That's all included in production costs. So I'm not sure where you're reading that. Uh, do me a favor, Stubble. Email me at john at the com with a link to the article that you're reading. Because whenever you see production costs, that includes yeah, above the line costs. Cast is all above the line costs on production budgets. So that is a part of it. Unless there's something very specifically specific they're talking about, it is all included in there. So 10 to $25 million per episode is a healthy budget for a show like that. All right, Star Wars Rocks writes, Hey again, John, I'm just wondering if Ruby Rose has a YouTube channel because... Oh, I'm wondering if Ruby Rose has a YouTube channel because correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't she originally make a video saying she wanted to be an actress? I'm just wondering. I have no idea. I, I don't know anything about Ruby Rose. I know she was in the Meg. I know she was in Orange is the New Black. Um, I know uh, she was Batwoman. I didn't mind her as Batwoman, to be honest. I only watched a few episodes and the show didn't really work for me, but I thought she was fine. I thought she was fine. Uh, she's stupidly beautiful. I mean, she's like, she's disarmingly gorgeous but um whether she made a video saying she wants to be an actress whether that went on youtube does that mean she has a youtube channel i that i have no idea it's that's an easy enough thing to go and look up though but i have no idea and by the way lots of people made videos before there was youtube just saying a lot of people have made videos before youtube was around so that doesn't necessarily mean she's got a youtube channel but you, you can easily go and look that up i'm sure um alex detman writes uh, I'm gonna send pics of all your uh, of all your fans and our patients uh, that your show brings joy to while these brave souls fight COVID. Uh, you're not an effing nobody here at uh, CDH in Chicago. Uh, you're an impact on them when they can't see their families and they got me for company. That that's 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 really nice. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. That's really nice. And and for the record, I would love that picture. I would love that picture. Um, so if, if there is anybody at CDH in Chicago watching this, keep up the fight, everybody. Um, God bless. And thank you for allowing me the, the honor and privilege of being a part of your day. Thank you so much. And I, I appreciate that, Alex, very much. It's, uh, when I see Ann after I'm done, that's going to be the first thing I tell Ann about. Thank you for that, Alex. I appreciate that, dude, very much. All right. Cameron uh, Barnett writes. Uh, hey, John and Rob, have you guys seen the Cube movie? Saw them for free on YouTube and they were pretty interesting. I'm not quite sure which movies they are, so I can't I can't say for sure whether I have. Hold a second. Uh, Cube. Let me just look it up. Uh, 19. Oh, you know what? Hmm. I want to say I think I've seen this. But maybe I've just seen the poster and the trailers before because I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I think I've seen this, but can I remember a single thing about it? No. Well, maybe I haven't seen it. So, no, uh, I, I don't think I am familiar with them, but I'll, I'll keep my eyes open for them. Thanks for that, uh, Cameron. All right. Jaron Morris writes. John, I just want to thank you and everybody. I shared with you and the community how I have a personal connection to the to the game Last of Us. I remember that. I have lost a daughter, and today is her birthday, and I have received so much love and blessings from all of you. Thank you, dude. That is so nice, and I'm so glad you did get that. And it's it always amazes me, as toxic and awful as the fan community can be, the online movie fan community can also be 
like the most incredible place. Like every time we've done charity fundraisers and stuff like that, the fan community's always rallied. When we've had, you know, folks like yourself in the community that have expressed loss, the fan community always rallies around. So honestly, Jaron, thank you for, for being brave enough to share that at all. And uh, thank you for sharing that the film community has done that for you. So uh, thanks, man. And, and may you have a very reflectful, but also very special uh, day to day uh, as a result. of that. So thanks for sharing that, man. That's awesome. All right. Next up, Jaron also writes. John, it's been announced that Anatona, uh, I've always mispronounced her name, uh, Shevchenko versus Caitlin uh, Chukagin, Saturday on the prelims of USC Fight Night. Uh, who you got also? Antonia has won six of her previous fights, and she's featherweight. Do you think we could see Valentina versus Anton uh, Antonia uh, or, or not? Hashtag sisters. I don't, I believe I've heard Valentina say that they will never fight in a match. I believe I've heard her say that the two of them will never fight in a match. So I'll, I'll go with Antonia and I always struggle with their last names. I'll go with her winning that fight, but I don't think it will set up a sister V sister fight. I just think, and I, and I thought for time they were always, they were in different weight classes too. But at any rate, I, I believe I've heard Valentina say they will themselves will never fight. So I don't think that's going to change. I don't think that's going to change. I don't think you'll see the two of them. Uh, although that would be a huge drama interest, right? That would get massive pay-per-views if they did that. Anyway, uh, Darklock63 writes, one of two. Uh, this is for information only. Magneto's was reduced to infancy by his creation uh, alpha in an attempt to change his outlook on humanity, giving him a second chance during the Dark Phoenix Sagra, a Shi'ar operative returned Magneto to adulthood at the peak of his powers. This is why Magneto uh, apt, apt to be younger than his actual age. Again, you're going into really... There's some things... Look, there's a lot of things in the comics you can never do. And I don't think you should look, you have to do what Rob always says. You have to maintain within the world of the fantastical, like, like X-Men and mutants and superpowers. You have to still try to find a way to maintain, as Robert would say, a verisimilitude, something that anchors it to the real world. As fantastical as it is, the best comic book movies are the ones that find their ways to anchor it a bit to the real world. And I just think taking that kind of liberty with the character I don't, I just don't think it makes any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And it certainly goes into the silly as far as the average film goer goes, who doesn't read X-Men comics. You've got to make sure that this works for them primarily. And so I, I don't, I don't think it works again. It's an option. And listen, I have no options. I, I'm not proposing. I don't know what a solution is. You're at least proposing some possible solutions. So that puts you one step ahead of me. Um, so I may not like your solution. I don't think your solution works. But hell, at least you're coming up with some ideas because I've got none right now. I've got absolutely none. All right. And guys, three hours long, but that will do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Guys, thanks so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. I said we were going to get through all the questions today. No need for a companion video. And we did it. Thank you, guys. And a special thank you to all of you who sent in the questions, not just because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but also because by sending in those questions, you supported the channel why we did it. And we look forward to more of your questions on tomorrow's show. Thank you to Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett, who, of course, will be back here again tomorrow. 
And guys, please remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. And we'll all get through this nonsense sooner rather than later. Uh, thank you guys so much for everything. Special thank you to all you guys at the hospital in Chicago. I was very, very touched by that message. Thank you very much for that. And guys, that'll do it for me for now. Thanks so much for being here. My name is John Campion. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.